0: First time ever. Hear you loud and clearly.
1: Uh, and it was going place.
2: That stuff's great.
1: But the game is not a roguelike.
2: Boomer shooter.
3: <laughs> Bang.
2: Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWP, In the Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the Drowned God Cthulhu lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town.
1: Welcome to another chapter of In the Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the Drowned God, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Kathala to frag and gib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Alright, welcome to the Realm Thief. What are we calling this? The indie? game music composer we'll come up with the title later (laughs) panel (laughs) insert Um, winnie title yeah (laughs) insert winnie title here so uh, for anybody not tracking i'm ty i I do i do podcasts and shit but i have assembled uh the greatest minds in any gaming uh music to be here today and then also two of you just tagged along uninvited
4: exactly
1: <laughs> so if you could all go i'm not sure if all of our screens are going to be arranged the same way but let's start off with metal neon who are you what do you do how's your uh how's oh your music?
5: Uh, I, i'm metal neon um i'm currently working on i did the soundtrack for a uh, scoot Hard dx and i'm currently working on the soundtrack for project absentia which is uh yeah project absentia so that which is mostly very similar to scoot Hard dx um and uh, I just kind of like, uh, I, I'm very much like an enthusiast of a lot of like really old synthesizers and such. Um, so like your sound canvases, your, your JV series, you know, that type of stuff. I'm very much an enthusiast of old sounds and that's just kind of what I do. I just put a bunch of old sounds together. I'm like, hey, let's just do that, you know?
3: Hey, <laughs> Hey, I'm Amorpher, I'm a major Doom 64 and Quake fan. I started my music career making midis decades ago, and I didn't bother to publish them until a few years ago. And thankfully, they're showing up in various Doom mods now. Uh, I programmed my own synthesizer, learning from what I learned in my science career using programming and signal processing. Made that to do uh, dark ambient music, and that's appearing on various Quake mods, all those finished jams, uh, alternative Quake music pack. And these days, I program various tools to upscale low-quality sounds and to format midis to the Doom 64 format, just to have fun.
1: I I love the fact that when you introduce yourself, you don't say, like, uh, all the games that you've done or anything. You just say, like, I'm a really big fan of Doom 64.
3: Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> if the game kind of overlaps with Doom 64, we're in business. I'll work with you for free.
1: Tony.
2: Uh, my name is Tony Manfredonia, and I am the only one with not wearing black, basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I am working on Call of Sarichnarr, uh a CRPG kind of harkening back to the 1990s, late 90s, and my music is very is very classically driven, very classical, very orchestral. In fact, that's the kind of world that I lived in. I was a classical concert composer, purely that for a while before even going into games. Um, And when I met Damian, he said, Hey, you know, your stuff would be great for this project. And here I am. I've worked on a couple other games too, but uh, right now I'm primarily working on Call of Sargnar as well as a few others. But I think Call of Sargnar is the most fun for me because <laughs> it, it falls in line with what I make naturally, I suppose. So um, that's me. That's
1: why I love you so much. <laughs> John.
0: <laughs> Howdy. I'm John S. Weekly also known as primeval on various different social medias i'm currently working on doombringer uh dread templar age of hell vomitorium and others plenty of others and uh i came from the doom modding community working on many stuff like there you go <laughs> working on like unholy realms reverie uh plutonia Revisited, uh, Eventually upgraded to, well, I shouldn't say upgraded, but moved over to, uh, like, actual audio, making, like, sifties-style music for Ashes, orchestrated music for Abysm, and currently I'm doing a lot of, like, metal stuff, like, for Age of Hell or Bastion of Chaos and stuff like that.
1: Remind me to send you a new t-shirt. I really like the one you have on, but I've got more, like, right over there. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds good.
4: All right, Jimmy. Hey Aldi, I'm uh, Jimmy Paddock. Um, I am that MIDI guy, which is my moniker on Twitter, at least. Uh, I'm the guy who basically exclusively writes uh, general MIDI songs for various Doom community mods or Doom community adjacent indie projects. Uh, I've got my own in the works called Adventures of Square. May have heard of it. Um, I've also done uh, the MIDI soundtrack for a couple of like fairly big releases recently, which uh, those would be uh, Sigil, the official fifth episode of Ultimate Doom uh, that John Romero put together a couple years back. Uh, and also those uh, MIDI soundtrack for Proteus, um, which is uh, an in-progress indie game, which uh, if you haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. So working on a few uh, projects like that, um, basically just trying to instigate my own sort of like uh, general MIDI renaissance in the in the boomer shooter community if you can call it that.
1: I was gonna say you had the best hair, but metal neon's hair looks very dapper. Not sure. That. <laughs> Just uh and then finally foamy. You were the, the, the final joiner. I d I couldn't even get foamy into the group chat because we weren't friends on oh, the, like, yeah. Discord or whatever. It's <laughs> all last minute.
6: Um yeah and, and it's uh I'm probably the only guy who has not made quite anything that's been released as far as game music, but I am a longtime professional musician, uh, ex-studio engineer, uh, mastering engineer, mixing. I did the whole thing, so I have a lot of industry knowledge. I'm going to be doing my whole, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, so I'm going to be doing my whole soundtrack myself, Um, and uh, I just, uh, glad to be here, provide a little bit of industry knowledge on a deeper level um, if anybody, you know, is interested. So
1: who do we want to pick on first? Let's pull the room.
6: Oh, like effects and stuff, mixing and tips, tricks, all that stuff. Pick my brain. Feel you I feel free.
1: So you, <laughs> so what we're saying is we're going to pick on Foamy first since he doesn't have any uh music for us to listen to. Nope, so not yet. I I guess we'll tackle it from this standpoint and uh, everybody can just kind of pile on him as you see fit. But so you're working on Un- Unleash Hill. Yes. And this is uh, very much in the vein of like kind of what Realms Deep was founded on. This is a very super gory, scary, like kind of metal themed game in hell. That kind of thing. Uh, which is Primeval's domain. Right. And Amorphos domain. And uh, I think we, we got a pretty representative group here. But I guess where would you say the, the challenges are for you having come from the musical industry and then transitioned into games and then is it different is it a different writing process is it a different creative process for you to make game music than it was as a professional uh touring musician
6: um a little bit because i feel like you know that when you're not focused on games you know you don't really have vocals uh lyrics yeah. so a lot of um you know music is is revolved kind of around the story of the song itself um you know i've seen productions change numerous times based on a lyrical change so I think that kind of part of it is 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 not there with gaming but out but instead of a lyrical kind of journey you're more of a visual journey so it's it's kind of the same thing I think but on a different input on what inspires you to on what you write mm-hmm.
1: so how did that I don't know how did that change for you though like because I get it I don't feel like it really point, did.
6: But... Yeah, I don't feel like it really did. Like, I mean, you know, making music is still kind of the same process. You know, you 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 have your your instruments that you like to use. You have, you know, your style you play in. You have a genre that you're looking to make. Um, you know, everybody has their favorite. You know, plugins, DAW, um, desk. You know, whatever. They they all have their favorites. So yeah. we all kind of go about it. I think the same way. It's just a different source that gets that the music's going to sit on or sit with. That's all. I, I don't think, that for me, the process, I don't feel like it's gonna, is, is any different.
1: So, John, you work with, do you specifically just, like, do all electronic music, or do you work with, uh, like, guitars and things
0: in your... Just production? purely electronical.
1: Okay, just, so... Just the keyboard. Does Does anyone else here, like, play an actual instrument? Other than, like, Tony, you you do everything, but... I, it's
2: weird, I only do, I mean, I'm frankly, most of my stuff is very MIDI oriented. What I'll do is mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, I'll get the sheet music and send it to uh, a friend for, I have a great violinist friend. She's out in the UK that she's going to be playing on the call of in our soundtrack. Um, yeah. but that's, so she remote records, then I put it in, but I really only play piano and sing.
1: <laughs> it's one of the things that I talked about with you, Jimmy, when the first time you were on the show, was that like, do you like, do you even play an instrument? You're like, well, I play the MIDI. I'm like
4: what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean keyboard is a, is like an actual instrument like yeah, that yeah, is I, I just just as easily um just a thing that you can use to, you know, have like a tactile feeling that you're producing the music um and you're getting that feedback from the instrument itself and that actually really does streamline the process uh, once you've mm-hmm. you know got it all set up correctly once you've got a little bit of your practice and the theory knowledge behind you as well as well.
3: Yeah, when it comes to ambient, a lot of it just relies on mixing. So I don't touch an instrument with that. But uh, you talked to Smilescythe about uh, playing guitar. And a while back, I sent a, a, a track that will also be appearing on the E1M1 album, which is me actually playing guitar. And for me, it was like, I don't care if I'm sloppy, I just call it black metal. So that's as close
6: as I get.
1: Is there any other black metal fans in, in the crowd tonight? Because I, that's my favorite genre of music. Um, it's I,
6: like... I dabbled a little. A little. You know. Right now I'm kind of uh, listening a lot. And I know it's not necessarily black metal. But I'm listening to a lot of Lamb of God right
1: now. Oh, dude.
6: Oh, bro, dude. But Richard, uh, Blythe, <laughs> Blythe, Blythe. Blythe. I love him. Anyways. Uh, and and Kill the Priest. Um, because I feel like... That is kind of the the direction I sort of want to go with the with the soundtrack or the OST for Unleash Shells. It I want it to be you know really fast and furious. So a lot of double bass, a lot of you know. Da, 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 da. So I've been listening to a lot of Lamb of God recently. So yeah, I guess I, I guess you know almost there a little bit. You know I've listened to Carcass and a few other things. You know stuff like that. But I feel like it it needs to be just a little bit a little bit more riffy, and that's where Lamb of God comes in.
2: How, how, I got how did you get into so if you're if just if you don't mind me asking how right. did you get into the game music industry because again while I wasn't doing the touring mixing and stuff and all that side of things I also came from a separate industry so to speak. so what brought you to writing a game soundtrack
6: um because I started making a game um, <laughs>
2: oh okay yeah All
6: right. yeah I'm a, I, we'll see I was um you know longtime professional musician and as you you can tell by the gray i'm I'm a little older I've done my time. And, um, you know, the the music industry just isn't what it is. It used to be. And it's a lot harder for an old dog to to make it. And so um, I I think a lot of us, as we, you know, transition from stage, we transition to studio, uh, do studio work, you know, maybe some studio sessions as a player. And my interest was always, though, on the desk. I really loved, I'd always been a fan of just all, I don't know, I think it was just the flashing lights and all the knobs and dials that drew me in at first, you know, these big giant consoles. And, but ultimately I just, I, I had a knack for it. And um, so I went and transitioned from playing on stage to doing more studio work. And then uh, people started sending me projects to master. Um, I got to do a really cool project that I, I can't really talk about cause then unfortunately it never really came to light today, but I can't say who it was for, it was for Disney. It was a really cool thing that, that I would love to have been, had happened. But, um, so yeah, I transitioned from that into, you know, obviously the studio stuff and man, you can only do that for so long before it kind of starts sucking the life out of you. <laughs> so yeah. I had always been a geek in the background, kind of a nerdy guy who loved programming. So I had. You know, side projects, modding, and things, and I just one day decided, um, you know, I'd like to do something different with my life, and I'll try making a making a game. And then, of course, because I'm a multi instrumentalist, I have my own you know studio, and I can do all my own stuff. I said, well, I'll just do my own music too. That'd be great, It'd be fun, because then I can do the music too. So that's how I ended up here. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. You
1: you've really like we for those not tracking, and you you'll all see this when realms deep. Shit happens, or, or it just happened right now. Haha. Ha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Foamy, uh, I was on a, a recent in- recording of In the Keep podcast that will come out with the whole shebang, and that's a lot of what we talked about was just how music as an art form really elevates the whole, you know, any art form, but really, really, games without music is nothing.
6: Yeah, there's are so weird.
1: many, there's so many songs that are. You know, the theme songs of games or like just that little that little tune that played in in a specific level that people will never, ever, ever forget because it's it's part of a more memorable experience than just hearing a song or just whatever. I mean, everybody's got that song that when they hear it, they're like, man, that's the first time I made out with a girl or whatever.
6: And just like for us, just imagine never hearing.
1: I mean. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Tony, Tony's the only one that didn't get that.
6: <laughs> like, you hear I that. I recognize
2: it, but I wouldn't be able to tell oh. you what it is. <laughs> I, can, I, can, <laughs> I, can I can give you a hand. really
6: terrible version of the opening thing of Doom, but, you know, like, you. Doom, but, yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Doom, it's yeah. the very first thing you hear, but I mean, it's just, it's such an iconic thing that you literally could hear those first four or five notes, and it's like, oh, I know exactly what that is. So imagine Doom without that. So
1: that, that's, that's going to be a. A big part of where uh one two three four five six seven six out of seven of us are pretty much going to have a, a big influence from doom right like that's really a, a huge part of what we do yeah and, and i think the the perfect person to talk about that would probably be jimmy so let's pick on him for the next
4: 10 minutes <laughs> all righty uh yeah um <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, I, I definitely grew up with Doom. Um, I think I've been playing it since I was about two. Um, I think it and actually uh, the sequencer software that I used, like way early in my career, uh, both came with my dad's very first Pentium PC uh, in the early 90s. Um, uh, it was I think Doom was like the first thing that he loaded onto it. Uh, just to see if it was working, because of course, if, if it if it works, if it runs Doom, it works. Yeah. Um, so um, that was r- really like um, where I got my 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 start was just I was introduced to this magical thing called the computer. at a very early age, and, I mean, obviously, need- needless to say, I was like pretty taken by it, like virtually like hypnotized by it then, as a kid. Um, yeah, and like here I am still today obviously so um yeah but yeah i I can't imagine how different my life would be if i didn't have like video games or if i didn't have you know music in general kind of just flowing in me you know because uh yeah i I don't know what other like like paths i could have taken really there's Mm. a lot of there's a lot of different um uh, i suppose there's a lot of different things that kind of shaped me as a person but i think video games have to be like the one thing that's like sort of kept me going and kept me being creative over the years because if if, uh, if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know just how huge the Doom playing community still is today I mean it's immense it's huge and vibrant and so creative um, there's people from all walks of life still contributing to it today amazing content getting made brilliant maps brilliant music uh brilliant just everything, really. There's so much cool stuff out there, and a lot of it is completely free to download as well. Um, and I remember being like absolutely spellbound by this, even as a really young kid, um, just being like, you know, amazed by the things that I was seeing people create on on the on in the online world. You know, using this very basic engine. Um, and definitely, um, that got the gears turning in my head on, on the creative side as well. So, I was already like creating music at this stage. I think it took me a year or two to really entrench myself in the community and become like a name that was somewhat familiar. But then I started like publishing my music there, and that really started um, started started to like snowball. I kind of really found a real deep interest in that, in, in giving back to a community. I found that really, really um, uh, spiritually quite uh, lifting, I suppose. Just getting all this feedback from all these brilliant people. Um, So that kept me going. Um, And it kind of like mutated from there into like, um, into me creating my own game as well. (laughs) I've always been like so very deeply creative, like on a very internal level, creating just all these worlds in my head, all these things that I want to do, know that I will never do, (laughs) which is always the way as a creative, I think. Um, So many like, I just. Project ideas coming out of the wazoo, really, basically. But um, yeah, um, it didn't take me long to kind of like summon up the guts to say, okay, do you know what? We're gonna plow ahead and make a game. Like, I- I'm gonna just see what I can do personally um, with my own skills, with my own existing skill set. And that's where Adventures of Square really originated. Um, uh, my sibling Bimmy originally came up, uh, Ben, real name i came up uh, with the initial idea for uh the character of square um it was originally intended as a character that was just supposed to be some very nondescript, very kind of basic children's show type character with no real background or backstory just a very this guy is a square he doesn't like circles and he gets into all sorts of weird adventures um it's all this sort of stuff so um and from there, it kind of just really um, kind of grew as a concept beyond that, which I'm really thankful that it did, because obviously that's, that's a very, very basic beginning. Um, <coughs> just It also became very involved as soon as I got like more people on board the project. So, um, yeah, and I think from there is where uh, it started to get really serious, because as soon as I released that demo for Adventures of Square back in 2013, I suddenly had a flock of community people coming to me saying, "Hey, please involve me with this. This looks so cool." Um it was really um humbling, I suppose. Um and that's really what's kind of kept me going, the fact that I've got this sense of community going still today. It's just this it's it's really quite magical, like the power of the internet to unite creative minds in that sort of respect. I've always really really enjoyed being part of the online Doom playing and modding community and like still to this day. Obviously it's still going strong. Can't see it ending anytime soon, and uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm excited to see where it goes as well. It's it's rare that I get
1: to talk to you like as a fan anymore because I just kind of hang out with you all the time in in the, in the Hellforge and stuff. Yeah, but one one of the things that you kind of brought to mind there for me was that we. The original Doom soundtracks, as iconic as they are at, at this yeah. point, in, in as far as the Doom community, people who play classic Doom games and everything, I, I think at this point, your Oof. name is kind of synonymous with that. Like, everybody knows James Paddock, uh, except Tony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now <laughs> nice you know him. You. I, I just, I'm just bringing, I'm bringing minds together. I'm just going to pick on Tony all day. Oh, it's <laughs> Thank even. you. Thank you for that. But you, you were so like... It, Prolific and influential, and not just because people are just fans of your music, but because when they play Doom, uh, any Doom mod or anything, and they look into like, well, what is this music? It, even even if it's not you, they're going to come across your name, and and you've kind of organically or whatever led this um, this ultra cool renaissance of MIDI music, and then there's people like like Eris that are kind of following along here, and then not just the MIDI stuff, but then people who decided like, oh, I can make music for Doom mods and then we end up with people uh, like John and we end up with people like Amorfer. We end up with all these amazing, wonderful people. And Metal uh, totally, coming from a totally different genre uh, stylistically but still doing a very similar sort of thing with the Doom engine. Um, mm. It's very, very, very cool. I, I just, I don't get to gush at you as much <laughs> as I'd like to. I, I usually spend time <laughs> saying like, fuck, Jimmy.
4: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. Now, just on to that point. I mean, it's it's um, if nothing else, the Doom community is a, a is just a great conduit of sorts for greater opportunities because we mm-hmm. we have like the industry professionals still hanging out with us today, like people like John Romero. He involves himself with the community every now and then. Um, that's how Sigil happened, basically for me. <laughs> um, and then uh, Lee Jackson as well, Rise of the Triad, and. Dude Newcomb guy, he's been hanging around as well, like very closely on like some um certain like Discords uh for mm-hmm. the Doom community, and it's just been awesome hanging out with him and uh just you know chatting stuff, and he's been like pressing me for like <laughs> feedback and stuff like that, which is just such a mind blowing thing, because I've loved Rise of the triad soundtrack, I've always loved it, even as a kid, and then you know here we are, you know, some something like 20 years after the game came out, more than that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like, get to meet the guy and he's like, man, this guy's a really good composer. I should seek out his feedback. <laughs> it's so cool. It's, it's, it's just, I think, yeah, the community's really let me kind of grow in that regard and become this sort of figure that I guess, you know, it's just trying to help people is just in my blood, really. And that's why I kind of find myself entrenched in so many different community projects and why i find my name just so you know spread so wildly across the community Um, i I wouldn't trade it for the world honestly
1: does any uh anybody have any kind of questions or anything that they would like to pick on jimmy about specifically like uh the fact that you strictly work in the MIDI format i think that's weird you know it it makes perfect sense for your career arc but otherwise it's just like what you know as a musician or any any musician out there that's like that Scott just does that he's like making <laughs> well yeah making but i,
6: I think know, personally cool. there is an art to creating good midi um you know it's a lot of people who you know maybe just look on the surface of midi think it's just oh you just take a little pen and you're just drawing notes on on bars and beats and things and well that's part of it but then there's expressions there's all the little nuances and things that you add to MIDI to make it sound more real. And that's what that's where the skill lies. And for those folks who can actually do that with MIDI and make convincing sounding tracks out of it, that's that's a skill. Not just everybody can do that. So me, I think I would be the probably the perfect example of someone who would who would have, you know, like you said, it would be like I'm a multi-instrumentalist, I play all the instruments and would say, Oh, MIDI but I just I I'm totally on board with MIDI, hundred hmm. percent. Yeah, it's, like it's it, great. <laughs> There's so much stuff you can do with it, even as a like a real instrumentalist. I mean, you can literally program your whole rig with off of MIDI triggers. So yeah. I mean, without MIDI, music would be a whole lot different. I think definitely as, a, definitely as a format. So.
3: Yeah, MIDI is as he says a bedrock for all the stuff that we do digitally these days and. One thing that I quickly learned when I started composing MIDI's is you have to be really careful of what instruments you choose and where. You can get a really cheesy, bad sounding MIDI quickly if you, you don't... Create,
6: Well, because it's to create like uh, polyphonic situations that aren't possible. Yeah, yeah, and those sound funny. You know, like if if you tried to do like a seven, um, you know, seven simultaneous notes on a neck of a guitar that were just would require some weird alien hand. It's just, you're gonna hear it, your brain's gonna go, that's not right. And so to, to know how to avoid those pitfalls, another skill. And
3: what throws a wrench into everything is, depending what Doom port you play on, back in the day you used to be, depending on what sound card you have, the MIDI sounds differently. Yeah. So, so Jimmy, does that, yeah. does that ever drive you crazy? How do you uh, handle that? <laughs> yeah.
4: Uh, I, the, I think just the way that I handle it is that I just sort of suck it up. I I just sort of say, you know what? Do you want to use a weird sound font that makes my, that makes my songs sound like <laughs> they're being recorded through like some sort of weird cardboard tube? Go ahead. <laughs> Cause it's no. out of my jurisdiction.
1: Metal's going to rewrite your whole soundtrack in the delay llama.
4: <laughs> yeah, there you
6: go. <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, Jimmy, when, when you were originally writing your stuff, did you just kind of stick with the general MIDI palette or did you actually look use a Roland GS canvas or
4: I've occasionally branched out into GS stuff um but uh just generally speaking um I will just stick with the basic general MIDI stuff because that's just a, a palette of sounds I'm very very intimately familiar mm-hmm. with um and you can squeeze a lot out of it I think yeah I agree um and it also seemed
6: like, you know, as, as the comment was brought in about the different sound cards, it seemed like that one was kind of the one that was the least apt to go crazy.
3: Yeah. Microsoft ended up getting all their like sounds from Roland mm-hmm. and to make that general one that's been bundled with windows for a while. And I thought it was mixed ex- excellently. Yeah. And if I, that's, and if I'm playing doom and I want to spice it up a little bit, I'll use a Roland SC-55 imitator sound font, because that's very close mm-hmm. yeah. to what the Windows one was, but just that much better, because Roland actually put that together instead of just handing it off. Yeah. There's,
6: there's I actually real, sort that sort of, I'm... Oh,
4: go, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Uh, just, just a real purity to the general MIDI sound. Just, it sounds so clean and just no nonsense, you know? It's obviously yeah. not accurate sounding to, like, real instruments, but... Yeah. I think it's doing it still this, you know? Yeah. I was, I was gonna
5: say, I actually have like a, a SC55 on here, right? Right. In my little shelf over here. I, I just turn that thing on whenever I'm like playing any sort of doom while that uses it. I'm just like, yeah, let me just turn that on. Uh, mm. I, I bought it. I say I bought it because I want to use some of the sounds for my own compositions, but nah, really. I just bought it to play doom. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Good choice, though. Good choice. I'm just impressed
2: that you all have these various sound cards and these various devices simply to play Doom in different ways. I think, for me, that, that is what's
4: blowing my mind at the moment. Doom is the universal constant.
6: I mean, think about, think about like, if you just think about where gaming would be without... Let's say Doom never existed. What would FPSs look like? This, it's incredible. Hover That's tank 20. 3D. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I like Wolf
6: three. i mean and you know in the longevity i think it's like i can't think of another game um is that has as much love and support still after all this time than doom I, and maybe i'm just naive but it just seems to me that doom is like the rolling stones they're just never gonna die
3: yeah uh, no jimmy yeah. when you started like what was it like trying to learn a MIDI software? Because like I look at your music and it's like you understand how to compose, but then we actually have to key it into the software when you first start. What was that like? Did you have to have any tricks to accelerate your learning?
4: I want to say yes, but the reality is that I was completely self-taught, and um, it it was kind of a long road, I suppose. But I'm happy that I went down it. Um, the uh, I had to. I had cakewalk express as my first midi sequencer um three um it's like for windows 3.1 and dos so yeah um six so i still have
6: cakewalk 3.1
3: discs uh,
4: I, th-
3: I think cakewalk recently went uh free now some parts of it
4: yeah so it did. yeah so
3: you can li- relive the experience for free these days
4: Hmm, yeah I still have uh somewhere I think the the old exe file um won't run on my machine. Of course, um it's uh it's like uh, at least not through like a VM or something else that's just you know some weird arcane magic to get a sixteen bit program to even like think about running on sixty uh, four bit architecture. Um, I remember actually trying to use it um through a virtual machine for a good few years, um, and I'm so glad i stopped doing that because the input latency was so bad and the speed of the machine was just god awful it was so choked it was so clunky and bad <laughs> um and yeah and and this is and while i'm trying to stream it as well just stream my composition work live on twitch it, oh, it's just a disaster in the making basically so i'm happy that I made the transition finally i now use a sequencer called sakaiju which is uh, a free piece of software that is Everything that Kate w- was, and a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy to have jumped to a <laughs> to a um, piece of software that was made this century or this millennium, even.
1: <laughs> so I, I said we were going to give everybody ten minutes, and I think we just did seventeen. Uh, as this always happens, every time any conversation involves Jimmy, just like everybody just. Like, I love you jimmy (laughs) yeah yeah i'm just kidding we'll we'll, we'll circle back around to you but like let's give uh let's give his his spot
5: oh uh thank you (laughs) so um i guess uh i guess for me mostly how i started doing music for this type of stuff like i mean i did music way before i started doing like like you know just general composition and stuff because i used to play like violin and oboe when i was like middle school um actually part of a jazz band for a little bit that was pretty fun but uh anyways uh like Years, years go by, I had, like, a band teacher who didn't really like me, so I didn't do music in high school. Um, but, uh, <laughs> effectively, um, during college, I uh, ended up just, uh, you know, I ended up taking some course or whatever. I think it was just for some elect- collective credits or whatever. I'm like, huh, you know, I actually kind of want to do music now. I-, I-, I forgot I used to like this. Maybe I want to do this now instead of, you know, slaving away doing programming for the rest of my life. So I'm like, yeah. And so, basically, over the course of that summer, I was just going through, like, a bunch of various DOS, just screw around until i found something i like and i ended up settling on reaper at the time mostly just because it was uh very easy for me to understand um, as a beginner um and it allowed me to do a bunch of like basically it just worked for what i needed and it still works for what i need at least right now um and I, I just i just fucked around with a bunch of like free vsts and stuff and you know that's uh that's that's just kind of like how i started um and honestly for anyone who does want to start that that's like the best advice i can just give to just start you know like you know, just just, like, download a couple, like, free VSTs, get, like, a like something like Reaper or something like that, and just screw around and just mess around, you know? That's the—that's honestly the best way if you really just want to, like, get started. Um, of course, later on, um, I ended up actually taking, um, a bunch of lessons from a, uh, local sound engineer in my area, who—now he has, like, a, like a mastering too, which, from what I've heard, is actually doing pretty well. Um, and, and he taught me, like, most of what I know regarding mixing, um— I remember his one tip he gave me was regarding EQ. Um, and if you wanted it to sound natural, you don't go more or less than six decibels. That was like a tip he gave me. Um, I don't know if like that's like good advice, but that's just uh, what he gave me. <laughs> um,
6: depends. Yeah, depends. Depends.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Always depends with mixing.
6: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it depends. Everything depends.
5: Yeah. Or, or yeah. Or, like, other tips, like, you know, if you want, like, an SM57, you want, I mean, if you want SM58, but you only have SM57, just, like, put a sock over it, and it will sound mostly, mostly the same. That's one tip he gave me as well. Just put a sock over an sm Just like the
1: doorknob, right? Yeah.
6: yeah. Oh, man. He's not paper. far from, he's not far from wrong, though. Literally. <laughs> 57s are a lot brighter than 58s. That's why you hardly see a lot of people using yeah. 57s for vocal mics. They use 58s. Use 57s on snares because they're so snappy. Oh yeah,
5: yeah. You, know, you just put a sock on it and there you go. You know, it's just now you have an SM58. <laughs> but uh... metal, you're like a
1: you're a more interesting example because you're like kind of just now breaking into your first real production project. And yeah, this is a wide array of people who have done a lot of crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, and and what i was thinking about was that what when you decided to go like i'm gonna go tackle this project for yeah for waffle iron mm-hmm. um did, did you have like a an agenda that was like uh, i'm gonna eventually end up you know being doing this for a living or was it just kind of a an organic kind of process because i think um we're gonna hear a lot of similar sort of stories
5: i mean truth be told i always wanted to get into like you know doing music for stuff like um like, I, I always wanted to be someone who was, like, you know, known for doing a bunch of music, and, and, and I always wanted to, you know, start out, like, doing music for a project. And once I was given the opportunity to do so for Wallfire, and I was like, okay, this is my start. This is how I'm going to start doing that, you know? um, mm-hmm. And so, um I mean, by that point, when I joined Wallfire, and I've already been composing for, like, at least two years at that point, or, like, a year or two, maybe. um So I was, like, pretty experienced. At the yeah. time, I was mostly just sticking to synthwave. But um it was essentially once I got my hands on, like a like, a sampler VST is when I really started to, like, you know, things started to really open up for me i got like uh my hand i think it was like a korg m1 like vst um you know i mean like you know memes of uh you know memes of the seinfeld bass slap aside it was uh it's been very helpful for my creative process just because of how many like ambient pads i can have and just making all these really cool like crazy ambient shit with it it's not the best sounding thing in the world but it has its own very unique character and i still use it to this day just because it's like you know it's like its own thing you know Um, and and, like the interface is excellent. It's really easy to sort through sounds and find what you need. Um, I I like it a lot. I swear I'm not sponsored by Korg. Although if you want to uh, (laughs) hit me up Korg, (laughs) but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I I just kind of want to do this music mostly because, um, how, how do I put it? Um. I just want to, you know, like I'd love to make this like a living for me. Um, if it doesn't work out, you know, that that's fine because I I enjoy doing this in and of itself. But like, you know, I I really would love to like, you know, be able to like just go around make music for a bunch of people, even like outside of like stuff that Waffle Iron works on. Uh, you know, yeah.
1: Do the rest of y'all have any kind of tips and tricks for picking up things and how to market yourself for those sorts of things, or is it just kind of an organic like whoever invites you project or? <laughs>
6: I think it depends on how aggressive you go about it and and what you have to show as far as your previous work. Mm -hmm. That's always been, um, you know, I think it's probably going to be the same whether you're in games or you're trying to sell to a label. Music is music. Um, So the process of of getting it out there is the same, I think. And you just have to be aggressive. You have to be aggressive. You have to know what your product is and just lay it out there.
2: Yeah. And I'd say specifically, (laughs) specifically for games. um, And I speak as someone who uh, I guess my first gig in the games industry was I was actually a senior in college. um, But I knew when I graduated that I'd be moving to Michigan to get married. So I knew I was like, okay, I got to start finding work now before I even graduate. And literally what I would do is I at the time when I had more time uh, as a college student, I in the middle of physics class or whatever I didn't care about, (laughs) I uh, was basically sending like 10 to 15 emails a day uh, to various developers whose stuff I admired saying, Hey, I'm so-and-so this is what my music sounds like. You know, I obviously researched to make sure they didn't already have somebody, but if they didn't already have it clear that they had a composer, I would do this. And I did, I think I hit about like 150 to maybe 200 emails before I got one reply saying, Hey, we like it. So it's, it is, there's, there's a certain aggressiveness to it, but there's also a matter of, there's also a long-term element as well that, Maybe. Play the play the long term game of just getting to know people, getting to meet people, make friends. Uh, the last game I worked on that was released called "The Ambassador Fractured Timelines," um, published by uh, Quantum Astrophysics Guild. Uh, <laughs> that stemmed from so, a post. More
1: are you part of that? Oh, I I did uh,
3: have to take plenty of quantum classes, so
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I so I I I that game stemmed from I kid you not a forum post. They were working on, the team was working on something many, many moons ago. I said, oh, I love this. We connected. Four years later, they hired me. And so everything that I'm doing now, even the things that are not Call of Saracanar, are basically from connections of two, three, four years ago of just Twitter interaction, phone calls, you name it. And now they're at the point of, oh, well, now we can hire you. Now we have room for you to come on, on our team. So it is, it's a long-term game. So networking, kind of like saying before, it's super important. Now.
6: Like if you're not networking, you're, you're not working. That's kind of in music. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, it's like, you try and shake everybody's hand. You try and meet everybody you can and and you get like just a few seconds to kind of tell them what you do. And it sticks in their brain. If you were memorable and and like, uh, like, like it was mentioned, they may not call you back for years, right? but you know, if you're not networking, you're not working.
1: I remember a story where, um, Jack Nicholson was auditioning for movies and they are like, um, we don't need you for this. But when we do need you, we will need you. Mm-hmm. And then people would just remember like that. That's that guy that did that thing that was like, really it just stuck in their brains, you know. And he was a very specific right. kind of actor. He was like, not really an actor. He's Jack Nicholson. You know what I mean? Like he's not the Joker. He's Jack Nicholson. And and Jimmy, you're oh puppy. Jimmy is a great example of this because it's like, um, you know. I don't really need a, a guy who specializes in like d- kind of doom style middies but when John Romero uh decides to do the big epic sequel episode to Doom well I mean who are you going to call not Ghostbusters you're going to call James Paddock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and Tony that's a that's a great point of view there it's just like yeah definitely the networking is everything that's how I got to be interviewing you all right now it's just Yeah. Um hmm. I don't know. Some some, somebody somewhere remembered my name when and when they needed a guy who could interview boomer shooter musicians. They,
2: I mean, who else is going to do it? Yeah, (laughs) some things will happen overnight. I mean, I will say there will be there will be moments you're going to see people who will message some random developer and then they're like, oh yeah, we'll pay you fifty thousand dollars to do this gig, and you're going to be like, okay, how come that hasn't happened to me? But it's also there also is a certain level of luck that's involved. Yeah, Uh, there's going to be people who get things that happen overnight. But your, your big thing that will happen to you may be a year or two or three or four or five yeah. or more down the line. So just be ready for the fact that there is a sense of, I don't want to say luck. I don't like the word luck, yeah.
5: but you know, opportunity meets preparedness
2: is essentially mm. how this
5: industry works. Yeah. definitely. It's actually funny. You say that, um, when I actually joined waffle iron initially, I wasn't even the composer for it. I was actually just came on as like a play tester essentially, because they already had a composer at the time, but, uh. I think, like, uh, I, I think I was just, like, I just was, like, huh, I was, like, playing through, like, a game or whatever. I was, like, showering, I think. I'm, like, I just came up in my head with, like, this concept for, like, one of the boss musics. I'm, like, yes, I need to fucking do this. And so I, I, I got, like, all my shit down and I put that in. And, like, the team was impressed with it to the point where they were, like, okay, we're just hiring you to do the soundtrack at this point. Like, wow. <laughs> they just, they, I mean, that was not the only reason they dropped the other musician, but, uh, you know, no, no bad blood against him. He's a cool dude, but,
4: uh, you know, I, I
5: basically just replaced him. I <laughs>
4: you know what you're trying to say. <laughs> Why That's That's Why is it that all the best ideas come when you're in the shower? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Always. Yeah, why is that?
6: If I, if they could come up with a device, literally, they could just plug into your head and record everything that you, like, because I have come up with some of the most epic songs in the shower, and it's like you just can't get into the studio fast enough to start getting stuff down before it literally falls apart and becomes something terrible. Whoever can come up with that, million dollar, billion dollar idea.
5: No, we, what we need is like a device that's like you could just write shit down while you're in the shower. So you just like are like, oh man, yeah, I know what I'm gonna do, and I'm just like, you know, put it in the shower, and then I take it, you know, back to my, you know, back to where I am right now, and I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna put that shit in, and there we go.
1: <laughs> so we already kind of like got onto Tony's tangent here, so it might as well mm-hmm. just spend the next few minutes picking on him. Yeah, sure. Uh, so you and I have a special relationship, um, as you know. Uh,
4: with Dina, it, we have a special relationship with
1: Dina. <laughs> Dina has many, many quarters. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's been it's just been truly great getting to work with you and Damian and Ben. It's, it's like this is my first really like beret into game development at all, and I'm really stoked that we're like making that kind of more public here with Realms Deep and everything. But you're again, it's kind of the same thing I said to Jimmy. Like, well, who can do like badass classical tracks, you know, solo without going? And I was gonna say without an orchestra, but we did record. You, you did do like one the the main title with the with a Budapest orchestra.
2: Uh, yes, Budapest. Yep. What? What the Ow. hell?
1: Tell us, tell us everything. This is Sorry. weird. This is unfounded. It all, said, in it all
2: started when I was. It all started when I was born. No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I did record the main theme, uh, for Call of Sargna with the Budapest scoring orchestra, based in Budapest, obviously, and um. I'm planning on doing a few, a couple other tracks for the game, like the more special tracks in the game with them because they did a great job. Um, but yeah, so I, it's it's hard, it's hard to how can I condense this into seven minutes? Um, the biggest thing for me is is I've always been a huge fan of orchestral sounds, orchestral music. I don't want to say orchestral video game music or orchestral film music or orchestral classical music because I think in a way it all kind of feeds into each other and I, and and. I would even go so far as to say i've always enjoyed seeing bands play like when metallica played with an orchestra i was like this is the coolest thing ever and there's that's some like there's some of the what you can find the videos on youtube i mean there's just something about the orchestra that i have always been in love with and so you know when jimmy mentions you know mini data and sort of expression and and getting that stuff to blend and and we we're talking about okay the, the korg has a certain character my brain operates in a way of, okay, what does a clarinet sound like in unison with, you know, a viola, right? I'm always thinking about in lines of the more acoustic textures, which actually can be very hard to mix and replicate uh, in a DAW. I mean, I would say that virtual orchestration is like 90% EQ because every orchestral instrument literally sits in the 500 Hertz range, like every single one, Yeah. unless it's a piccolo, right? So <laughs> there's so much, People are like, how much do you EQ? I'm like, you'd be surprised. You know, the, the, the rule of like, don't go more than six dB. I'm like, if you collectively look at all my EQ moves over the course of the piccolo one and then the flute and then the flutes group and then the woodwinds group, I'm like, I'm cutting a bunch, like all over the place. <laughs> but all all very subtle moves that end up adding up together. Cause when you have, I mean, some of my projects for Call of Sargonar, like the actual project files. Sometimes I literally have between 150 and 200 tracks because there's group, I mean, if you if you lump in aux sends and groups and all that stuff together, um, mixing orchestra music is probably still where I, I greatly need to grow. Because again, I'm coming from a place of, I know how to write on sheet music or my digital notation, hand it over to an orchestra and someone can conduct it and someone can play it. Great, fantastic. But then when I started having to do that on my own in terms of a, a digital uh, reproduction of sorts, The mixing stuff and all of that was when I was like, wow, I really need to dive into this. So when I started with Call of Sargonar back in 2017, 2018, um, obviously I still needed to make income as well elsewhere. So I started that soundtrack, but always was always kind of doing stuff on the side. And through all of that other stuff, I was like kind of getting better at mixing and and really understanding virtual orchestration, so to speak, that now in 2021... Uh, I guess I kind of started 2018 with that really now in 2020, I'm going back to all those earlier tracks and basically redoing them new sample libraries, new, everything. Um, it's taking me an arm and a leg in terms of time, but it's going to be a better product at the end of the day. Um, and so I don't know. So that's, that's sort of my thing is that it's, it's, I love the classic. I, I I think of counterpoint and I think of my compositions, not as like production or like what effects can I use, but what kind of counterpoint can I use and what kind of orchestration can I use? And that's sort of how my brain works. And then trying to figure that out through the digital orchestration uh, is certainly the challenge. Because sometimes things that translate well in an acoustic setting don't translate well in a digital space. And so you have to kind of puzzle solve that. Um, That's a long-winded answer.
1: (laughs) But that's my thing, I guess. I don't know. You're, you're again, each person here is... Very like special in, in my heart, you know. You're all special and unique, little little angels, and and you all do something that's just totally mind blowing, and that's that's why I wanted to like take an opportunity. This is a time where we have to showcase. We all have games coming out and everything. Like, let's get together and just see what happens. You know what what happens when we take the the classical guy and the the synthwave guy and the su- actual boomer, not boomer shooter guy, but the actual boomer over here. And we take the midi dude and we take fucking whatever it is that John does. And then we take the, the hellscape that is a morpher and like, what, what would happen? And this is, I mean, we're only like 50 minutes in, but this is like, I'm, I'm learning so much.
6: Technically uh, I'm a Gen X. Okay. Well, <laughs> and I, and, and can I ask Tony one question? Sure yeah. did you do the mix, um uh, for the main theme yourself? Like
2: I did not mix that, no. Uh, I hired them to mix them only because I've never mixed live orchestra with all like when you're talking like, okay, the room mic and then flute one, but like a live orchestra, it's very different when I'm used to the sample libraries and I know the quirks and I know how to kind of piece things together. But when it's a live orchestra that's freshly recorded in a room I've never even been in physically. Or even like mix anything in. Uh, I forget what the the hall they use to record it in. I forget what the name it is. But um, so no, I did not mix. I ma- I did a I did a mastering job on it because that's a, a little bit easier than mixing a full uh a, a, like a live recorded orchestra. That's that's kind of out of my wheelhouse at this stage. But sample libraries, again, sample libraries is very different because you have direct control sort of while you're creating the music. Right. It's not like. Here's the thousands of files and have fun. It's like, okay, now I, I can kind of, oh, I'm going to actually use the tree mic here or the close mic here because it'll enhance the composition. You know? So, uh, great question. And I wish I did a better job in, in terms of that front. But that, w- again, would have been so out of my wheelhouse. It's like, it's its, its own skill.
3: I remember back in the day, to use a digital audio workstation to compose, let's say, a full orchestra, it was a nightmare. Because back in the day, you did not have enough RAM to do it. Your hard drive would be exploded. And then to have all those layers, you didn't have enough processing. I imagine now these days that uh, it's much better.
2: Yeah, well, I, uh, the, the the sample library that I use is the Berlin uh, Symphonic Series by Orchestral Tools primarily. I also use East-West Hollywood Strings just for Call of Sargonar specifically. It just matches the tone of the game. But uh, the Berlin... I just bought. I just built this PC basically, and they, this has 128 gigs of RAM because if I use 100, 100 of the Berlin series, I max out at like 100 gigs. It's insane.
1: All the, all these insane. Doom Doom MIDI guys and everything just like had a stroke when you said
6: 80, right I have now. 80 Holy gigs shit. in mine. I, like, I have to the, run 80, so you know you have okay. to run a lot of a lot of RAM to do. High end mixing. I mean, like, even a rock track ends up at about 48 to 60 tracks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. That's well, you wild. know, you got doubles of guitars, doubles of vocals, you know, every, uh, there's all the know, drums. The, yeah. The drums and the cymbals and just the different room mics and overhead mics and snare mics and underhead mics. And, 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 and you know, snare drums got like two mics on it. The kicks got like three mics on it. Yeah. So you're at 48, 60 tracks by the time you're all done.
5: I have like a friend who's in a very similar situation to you, where he literally has like a computer with 128 gigs of RAM, just because he does a bunch of orchestral stuff and like on his stuff. I think he has like a 16 core processor too. Like literally, the only part of his computer that isn't beefed out right now is his graphics card. But that's just because he, he's kind of waiting to get a new one. But you know,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah, and that's I yeah, I got the 10 900K uh, yeah. i9, which is again also necessary. I, yeah. I I had an ancient thing that was I was struggling to make things work. Uh, So I really needed to upgrade, but I want to I want to touch on actually like General MIDI. So I'm actually working on another game called uh, Evercraft Online. So it's going to be kind of uh, stylized in in terms of gameplay, kind of like EverQuest and uh, RuneScape, like the early 2000s MMOs. Mm -hmm. And the the developer wants the music to sound like General MIDI. And so here, you know, when I first started making the soundtrack, I was very much like, okay, orchestra is you know two flutes, two oboes, two clarinets. And it did not, it did not translate well. It was actually quite a relearning experience and a lot of listening to be like, oh yeah, they really limited this down to, you know, you may have a low strings, a high strings, a woodwind, right? To make it more that um, sparse, I guess the word would be like a sparser texture, a more sparse texture versus when I'm just used to like, I'm doubling instruments with other instruments and making this huge sound. Um, it's been quite a learning experience to kind of replicate the general MIDI stuff. And I don't, obviously don't have all the, the super fancy hardware. I'm just using the Roland sound canvas VST instrument, which is actually really cool. Um, I agree. but it's been, it's been, it's been very interesting to, to listen and to identify. Okay. Yeah. There's actually not a lot of traditional doublings as what I would normally do in my acoustic orchestration. Yeah, exactly.
4: Um, yeah. The, the it's, the very, thing about- it's very, about Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Tony. Yeah, the thing about like MIDI is that I, I think it does have its own sound. It is a very stripped-back thing compared to a full ensemble of, like, real instruments with their own sort of rich textures and upper harmonics and everything. Those instruments can, like, fill a room with sound, a very powerful sound. And then MIDI is kind of just its own sort of you know, thing, so right. its own little bleeps and bloops. And, like, you've got, like, the little... You've got, like, every, like... Um, yeah, from what I've heard of like like Runescape's music, I never really played it, but it is a very like stripped back kind of approach. Um, I mean, hell, in MIDI, you have you know one of the instruments is string ensemble, which right. is just everything that you know. It's it's not a full string ensemble, clearly. Really. It's just yeah, it's just one sound, one patch. Um, right. But that covers most bases, honestly. Just that one sound alone, honestly, still feels you know even though it's just the one sound, still feels quite full. Um, well, yeah, we were that's...
6: also limited back then to the amount of voices we could use at one time. You know? 16. I mean, yeah, early on it was like eight voices and then 16, and then I remember when we got 32, and it was like, whoa, we got 32, you know, and, <laughs> and then 64, and, you know, now we're just about unlimited. I mean, well, almost. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, right. I mean, so a lot of the music that, you know, that defined kind of what the general MIDI sound was, was due to that eight and 16 voice limit. Right
5: yeah it's funny though because if you even go to the technicalities of that even some of the sounds that you could get from them actually took up two voices instead of one so sometimes it was often even less than the advertised one like like for my my yeah yeah because they would have like
6: one voice assigned to the actual like dsp which well which was pre-dsp yeah (laughs) yeah
5: yeah like on my sound canvas, or the midi
6: zero controller channel
5: yeah like for instance, like, Ancient Aliens, like, that, um Doomwad, like, the soundtrack for that will constantly cause my sound canvas to just keep skipping notes and stuff because there's just too much polyphony going on. At least with, like, my, my actual sound canvas. I've heard, like, the sound canvas VA actually has more polyphony than the regular one. It does. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't get that many problems with that, but, like, yeah. So you have to, like, really keep in mind with all of these, like, polyphony-type stuff when you're actually composing for things like MIDI. And two,
1: and a... <laughs> we're, uh, okay. We're, I didn't mean to, like, cut everybody off and interrupt, but we all have to go pee at some point, and I, that, that was my moment, so. I do want to continue on with, like, before we get into the real, like, just everybody-go-crazy moments. Like, let's, let's get through our other two guests, you know? They they, yeah. they took their time to be here. <laughs> and uh, and Morpher, I think you're next. You're another example of, like, don't always need that, but when I need it, we know who to call. And, yeah. Like, you're that guy for dark, ambient, beauty, wonderful, hellscapish. Like, if Shinsky made music, it would be yours. You know what I mean? Yeah,
3: I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's having this kind of effect on people. I didn't know when I first started doing it what would happen, you know. Uh, growing up, it won't be a surprise to anyone that knows me and my music. I didn't like music when I was a little kid. It wasn't until uh, video games that I really started liking music. And you know, specifically the Nintendo 64 of all, all, Aubrey Hodges' uh, ambient soundtracks, and his soundtracks were are actually using the N64 MIDI synthesizer. This has a custom sound font using that. So, yeah. So then, uh, for many years after, I didn't actually play many games anymore. Uh, the gaming had moved on to a more general audience, and I didn't like music and well until I started listening to metal. Then I got I got into death metal and things like that. And when I made my first midis, I would try to make death metal midis. And you can listen to them out there. They're pretty uh, intense. And um, then then after a few years went by, I was I would listen to these dark ambient N64 soundtracks, sometimes the Quake PC soundtrack, which is ambient as well. And eventually, after you listen to these things so much, you kind of, uh, it's, it's old hat, you start anticipating what was now random. You cannot predict it. And now it's no longer becoming ambient anymore. So I was like, oh, man, I really need more of this music. And it, wasn't, it just wasn't out there. It was dark ambient music, but it was of a different style. Because these days you don't have to work in like a MIDI restrictions or anything like that. I was, I was thinking in my head, how am I going to do this? I was going to do a procedural uh, generated MIDI uh, program, but then looking into MIDI and the format at the time, I it was just above my head just going to those bytes. But so I was like, okay, actually, I know what I can do. So I, I have my normal career as a scientist. I was a f- trained as a physicist. I uh, learned how to program, and I learned how to do signal processing, just taking in oscillating voltages, processing them and analyzing them. I was like, Hey, I can just make my own synthesizer out of that. So I started programming in the software called MATLAB uh, or matrix lab. And only and that. and that's what proves me as a scientist. Cause you wouldn't want to program a synthesizer in that software, unless you were a scientist that knew how to use that. This is not meant to do that at all. You can't, it doesn't have any real time audio on it. So I have to, uh, write it to export right to a file. And so. I started doing that. I started doing what I knew about signal processing. And then I was like, okay, how do kind of natural sounds behave? And I was thinking like how they evolve and how there's always slight nuances to natural sounds. So I was like, I want to probe that, that into my synthesizer. So I have like, I draw like a waveform and I can have that waveform gradually evolve in any of the points, in any of the interpolations over time. And then I add. I did my own bit cruncher, which is easy. Just quantize the bits. I did my own distortion. I I figured out how to uh, do a reverb. I, I was listening to those impulse responses, and I was like, oh, they sound a lot like gunshots. And I was like, okay, let me let me do that. And that those for those who don't know, an impulse responses. If you just like do a click, and then you listen to what comes back, that's the response. And I was like, oh, I know how to do that. So I will generate noise. And I would sequentially filter and filter and filter more frequencies out, and then I, there I cre- then I would convolute it with my sound, and there I made my own reverb. And eventually, I was programming all these things in, and I had so many different parameters that it became too much for me to just manually handle. So what I do with my synthesizer is I set it to go through all kinds of random permutations overnight. Next morning, I listen to all the dumbass garbage it produces. And then eventually me being me, I want the most nasty, the most horrible, disgusting sounds It's like, oh, there's something there. So then I had to learn uh, mixing quite uh, quickly. I mean, I did some, a little bit of metal production back, just amateur, very basic stuff. So I was like, okay, so I knew enough about mixing that I could kind of start hammering them to shape. Then I start layering them up in, in like Adobe Audition. I mean, I, my, my, DAW of choice is FL Studio. But if I really want to get in the nitty gritty of the audio, I need to do it in, uh, in Adobe Audition and to start layering up and fil- filtering it. And I just programmed certain principles of how I felt like ambient music should behave. And that is it's supposed to be representative of an environment. So there are certain principles, like if I think of something living like a flock of birds, if one bird chirps, then you have a sequence of birds chirping and in music, that's just basically like programming a delay in there. So I have a delay that does bounces and as it bounces, I have it adjusting the reverb of how that reverb keeps on building up on it as it bounces. And I just all programmed that in there. And because I'm doing it in the software, it's not the most efficient. Luckily, I don't have to buy 128 gigs of RAM because it's just writing to files. Now it's going to kill my hard drives over time because I'm constantly reads and writes and deletes. have because most of the stuff it produces is like a big mountain of dead bodies. Most of it's garbage, and I just bury it and keep. And then I just take that corpse at the top, the most disgusting one, put some makeup on it, and just layer it in those cracks.
6: <laughs> oh, I love that description. I love that. You got to use that somewhere. Like, if you ever describe the way you make music, you should just say, I make a disgusting pile of corpses that I just bury right before I cherry pick the grossest one off the top. Literally. That's really good thing I was
1: recording. Like, if you had said that when we were taking a break, I would have been really pissed. No, 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 no. Write it down. Write it down. Like, anyone that
3: talks to me, you know, I have an unusual taste in music. I mean, Chris Holden kind of understands a little bit because we're both into this old school, just really. Nothing nice about it, death metal, you know. But then when uh let's say like any other like like major Arlene or Bridgewater shares their songs and there's like happy uh there's like happy uh let's say a major chords in it, I'm like, I don't want major exactly. chords it's in this.
1: Exactly why, how I feel.
3: Why is there major chords in this? Why are you clean singing? I don't want that, it's not disgusting enough. And so <laughs> and so I found so it's basically like a niche that is like, okay, I want to make music here, I just wanna do what I want. Because I have, I love my career as a scientist. I don't, I'm not looking to be a musician. So middle Neon, whatever I'm doing, do the opposite of. Because I'm not, I'm just doing a very, very niche thing. Because I really enjoy it. It's actually very therapeutic. Because if I'm having all these angsty feelings, you know, always think of those sappy songs that people listen to when sad. Well, I put this, all these weird-ass thoughts that I have into these tracks. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a creative thing. It just become doesn't take over me, becomes a little like creative, like it's there, that's what it is, it's there. And I can listen to it when I want to, I can walk away when I want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. and then I just, uh, what happened was I was, I started sharing around the Doom community and the Quake community. I didn't know what people would think of at first because it was it was taking such a weird approach. I didn't know if they wanted to use it and uh, it ended up being the Quake community that really took of it uh, apparently unbeknownst to me dump truck is a major dark ambient fan and so then he really hopped on to it jcr who's at 3d realms now doing uh projects uh end up putting one of my tracks using my tracks for the first time and it uh it's also appearing in some doom projects now like one of the early ones was uh hurt by a land he used one of my ambient tracks and some of them up here in dead tech so it's it's like wow uh, there's a community of weirdos out there just like me who appreciate this weird ass shit. And uh, I've been happy ever since.
1: I mean, I heard you first on the Quake cast. Uh, I'm a huge Quake cast fan. I, I, I've gone on record many times like, the best podcast about boomer shooters is the Quake cast, not in the keep. And <laughs>
3: <laughs> there's debate out there. But yeah, both I, I love Dump I love I love You, and the, these have been a great for the community.
1: But when I heard your interview on that show, I was like, this motherfucker gets it. Like, I I just, you know, I heard you having a conversation with someone else that I peripherally knew, and I was like, we're going to be best friends immediately. (laughs) Like, you've been, you know, you've been so cool, man. Like, I've I've featured so much of your music in the show. I've just completely fallen in love with what you do because there's no one else who does it. There's, I mean, Aubrey had his had his run doing that but like also he you know you're not doing nfl soundtracks yeah like, yeah you know what i mean yeah you, yeah you kind of took his his um his basic architecture his, yeah the feeling his, his emotion he laid down and you just yeah. ran with it and yeah the
3: way i end up programming it, it i mean that was my inspiration but then it ended up kind of existing somewhere between the doom 64 the quake 64 and quake what just the way method of how i programmed it because it was no longer just pure midi anymore yeah and and a part of it is my own selfish reasons when i because like i release all my stuff for free anyone can use it commercial non-commercial that's because like i i make enough money as it is for right now and if if i lose my job in the future i'll come say hey guys i need i need some change <laughs> in my cup but, you have a lot of people who owe you to, but so it's business. uh it's mostly because I love playing these games and it's my way of influencing people Uh, like, Oh yeah. If you, if they use my music, they're going to make games of the mood that I like. So <laughs> that's, so that's why I say like, if you use my track, just let me know. Cause I think I'm going to like what you're making.
1: Oh, that was, that was beautiful. Man. You're, you're a very well-spoken individual. It's kind of intimidating.
3: Uh you wouldn't believe that my Finnish heritage right
1: you i mean, I mean we just reveal uh, not in real time people who are watching this uh, but we just released this month site episode and that was like can you can you fucking take a compliment you son of a bitch like just <laughs> just te- let me tell you that i think you're great for like 5 minutes and then just say thank you at the end of it yeah. cuz he's like oh no i'm not great in any way like just fucking take the compliment <laughs>
3: Well, if you if you ask my wife, you know I'm not I'm not very talkative normally. But if you get on something that I'm very interested in, I would go on for hours and hours and uh, just music production and just weird shit is what I'm <laughs> into. So.
1: All right, all right let's uh, let's move along now. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. We'll we'll all have time, our time to kind of dote on each other, but not me, John. I've saved you for last <sighs> on purpose. What are you not working on? You are the hardest working man in show business. You're the Zack Wilde of video games. What What the fuck, man?
0: I don't know what to say. I just get myself <laughs> out there. You know, I, I go... How? Very carefully. Uh, <laughs> I just... I see a project that looks really good. I'm like, I got ideas for this. I want to approach them and talk to them about it. And Sometimes it works. So... And then once my name started getting out there, some people have started coming to me. So, just I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I'm on record many times. I'm like, look, you know, people talk. About, yeah, there's the legends of the industry. There's your Lee Jacksons and your Jimmys and your like in, in modern times. Like there's your marquis and your Andrew holschultz and I'm just like, dude, primeval. That motherfucker needs to be getting paid right now. People are sleeping on you if they're not hiring you to do their project. And every moment that goes by, like every two seconds that passes, set your watch to it. If you're not hiring him, someone else is. And like, what the fuck? How do you? How are you doing it? It's that, so amazing. That,
3: that, that's so funny because uh primeval and I have probably known each other roughly for about maybe a couple years now. Because Primeval did some ambient influence stuff. With, mm-hmm. Few years ago, was that the Innocence X? I think it was right. Yeah, Innocence
0: X three by Jazzmaster. Yeah, very, and I very Doom sixty four influenced.
3: Yes, right. So my obsession goes no bounds, and I found it, and I like immediately I bought it, and I'm like, why? And then I listened to his other stuff, and I was like, this was years ago, and I was like, why doesn't people? Why don't people know know about Primeval? Because he's like the net, he's like Andrew Holsholt or Marky Music, and he was like just. They didn't know him back then. So uh, there's, we probably can go through our Discord DMs. I'm like, there's probably like th- 3 billion projects. I'm like, cause there's something like, oh, they want mu- a musician. And of course I only do one thing because I want to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not very flexible cause I just do what I like doing. And, but I was like, oh, but I know Primeval can do it. So there's, in our Discord, I probably sent him like 5 billion projects and he's on all of them now. <laughs> And then even now, and then even now, even a years ago, he was on these project, and he was still not. I was like, "Why don't people know about him even more than user?" I think only now that because now he has a a award now that people are getting the plot.
1: You're just a fucking money making machine. I look at you. I'm like Vince McMahon. Like, <sighs> I smell money. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
5: Fresh cash.
6: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's only been just this past year that I've been sort of getting out there now with actual, like, independent games and whatnot. Yeah. So, and some of them, it more for helped me get into, like, Libre Quake or uh, Nail and Crescent, which is a RTX um, oh. a fan sequel of Quake for the Quake oh, well. RTX engine
3: it's uh, looking at that nail and crescent of uh, the updates. Like at first, if you think of the scope of it, they won't be able to do it, but man, they are doing it. You guys just wait.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. But you... Go ahead. You no. Oh, no, I... no, it's rare that you actually speak. <laughs> I want you to do so, like. I
0: I don't know, I started off with my train of thought there. So go ahead, go ahead.
1: <laughs> so, okay, you, you have a really diverse kind of array of the, the music that you create. It. it... I mean, primarily, I would say you you do metal. That's what you're known for, at least, especially with the Bastion of Chaos stuff, and uh, that's what I'm most familiar with. I'm just coming from like a very limited, like little, pinpoint view. And you, how did you get into music? Like, what was your path into this thing? What influenced you? What made you say, "I'm going to go pick that up"? Because you, you said earlier when we were talking, like, you don't, you don't really play the guitar or anything you're just doing all this stuff digitally but did you have a did you have a, a spark a moment and said like that's that's what i'm gonna do
0: well i was born to two metalhead parents so i was raised on metal almost all my life and my dad has always been in the band so because of that i've always wanted to make music one way or another uh-huh. and uh, i end up picking up the keyboard uh, this yamaha keyboard i always played on for the longest time and I've played video games all my life, and that's just the music that always stuck with me—the so metal and video game soundtracks from Doom and Quake and twisted metal and all that stuff—and it just kind of clicked with me, I guess. I don't know. Once I actually started recording something on a computer, it all just—I don't know—just clicked together. I'm not sure how to ex- explain it any further.
1: <laughs> you're the you're the worst kind of interview, you know that? Right? I, I, <laughs> know, I know, I know. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't speak I very much for it's What's hard up? because I know there's so much in there. It's like this, like I, I'm just like got to chisel away to try to get it, find it. No, that's fine. That's what I do. I'm a professional interviewer, as you can all tell by the, the copious amount of beer cans laying around and everything, but dude, you, you've got to acknowledge that there's, there's this creative force behind you. And I feel like it's just, it's, it's in there, but you're too humble, right? It's. It's not like Jimmy where he's just braggadocious the whole time, I'm like, oh yeah, I did all oh, this crazy. <laughs> <I'm> kidding.
4: <laughs> yep, that's um, me. Uh,
1: what, what about this? Like, okay, so you're you're working on Age of Hell. You're working on Doombringer. You're working on uh, several different Doom mods that I've just. Like, I'll I'll just be hanging out with people, and they they show me a random Doom mod. I'm like, oh cool, who's doing the soundtrack? Prime Evil. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, is he doing that on top of all the other shit? He's like, yeah. And then like five minutes later, the same thing will happen.
6: I'm just I get around. Um yeah. He's like the Corey Taylor, you know, of the metal world. The, the
1: point of this whole panel is to like anybody out there who's like interested in learning how to do what you guys do, to you know, hopefully pick up some knowledge. Like, how do you network? What is your process? What do you like? Are you just
6: this kind of stuff, you know, get involved in anything that gets you in the room with other like minded musicians because you know sharing knowledge is great i mean i learned so much from having conversations with other musicians you know we all have our own different techniques our own different ideas and you pick little things up and so i think you just always got to be looking to talk to people who are like-minded and you know it's it's i guess it's harder nowadays you know with everything kind of limited socially to to find folks like that but situations like this are fantastic when they come up to so get involved oh yeah I mean, not much else I can say
0: as everyone else has said it already. Much better than ever I could articulate. So no,
1: no, we're not going to let you get off the hook that
0: easy. <laughs> oh, I'm aware of that. You got to do your time, bro.
4: Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I do have try like a I, approach. I do have a quick question for for, for, for John. Um, being that yeah, he and I have been involved in the same community for a few years now. Uh, uh, John, did you did you kind of view your your beginnings in the Doom community as a sort of pivot to what you are doing now or do you you see them more as a kind of like um because i don't see you terribly active like doing like any midi stuff like you used to these days um yeah which is all like fine and dandy i'm just wondering if like if you consider yourself to have moved on from midi stuff towards that sort of realm of like um you know full streamable audio
0: yeah i I think I had sort of moved on from just pure MIDI at this point, though I would like to revisit that era and just make some more MIDI stuff or maybe some classic Doom or whatnot. But at the moment, I just really enjoy working with all my VSTs and, you know, synths and whatnot.
4: Because I I really definitely enjoyed being part of those projects that you and I were definitely involved with. Reverie back in the day, Uh, that was like 2011 was like great fun. You and I actually collaborated on a track with Stuart Rinn, didn't we? Yeah, MAP-27. Yeah. I
0: remember that. Bound,
4: <laughs> <laughs> Bound for glory.
0: <laughs>
4: yeah, that's it. Fun memories of that. Track. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, that, that, that came out so well. I was really happy. Like, oh, I find the collaborations... Yeah, I find collaboration <laughs> to be one of like the, the better ways of uh, meeting people in the musical world. Like To just reach out to people and just... If they say yes, that's just a brilliant way to get to know them a little bit better. Um, yeah. to know what makes them click, to know what their musical approach might be, to see how you gel with them on a the sort of professional basis as well. Um so yeah. Um yeah, but you and I go back like to easily twenty eleven, perhaps beyond perhaps um um even before that. I'm not entirely sure. But I've been in the community since two thousand six. So wow. yeah. Yeah, I
0: came around around two thousand and eight, I think. So mm. My actual first gig was for Arcadia D-Made, and I had no oh, idea right, that yeah. guy. Yeah, no, no idea that guy was actually part of the original Bioshock team. <laughs> <laughs> so Isn't
1: that true. weird when you like you talk to someone about a particular project and then you realize like that they did something else that was like what? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me all the fucking time. That happened when I when I had Dragonfly on the show, right? Like I, I brought him on for mm. Eternity, and I didn't realize he was working on Proteus. I was like, oh, <laughs> what? Like you know, it, And it's like an everyday occurrence. It's like, mm. how, and, and you're like, to keep on topic a little bit here, like John, you're just like one of those guys. How many places can he show up? But uh, one of the things that you said earlier was that you kind of grew up on, on heavy metal and stuff. And like, What were the bands that were like resonating with you? Because I, I would, more some of your more popular stuff, I would say at this point, um, specifically talking about uh, what's, what's featured in what will be Age of Hell, is like kind of the symphonic metal mix and and i'm wondering is there a particular influence to that or just in general what what do you love music wise
0: uh, i was raised on a a lot of slayer and sepultura uh death I love sepultura a, a lot of like thrash and like old school death metal and then like towards the late 90s i started getting into like progressive and symphonic metal, like symphony x or something yeah so i that sort of leaks into it. Yeah. Is it the, and, uh,
1: Paul, Paul Gilbert? No. I'm thinking of Racer X, not Symphony X. But yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and then start again. To- Are you thinking of King's X? There's too many X's. What about the band X? <laughs> I know. <there> was- Everybody <laughs> like X? Well, there was King's <laughs> X.
6: They were good too.
2: I like X Men. They're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And,
5: uh... Music panel for Realms Deep is sponsored by the letter X.
6: <laughs> well, we can have a forty-five minute kiss conversation. We did that. We did
5: that yesterday. Let's just people people
1: tune into the foamy one for the kiss discussion. <laughs>
0: and then a lot of my orchestra like inspiration comes from like Hollywood movies and whatnot, like Jurassic Park or even like Godzilla movies. I love Akira Fukube, if I even pronounce that right. And yeah. Just love that stuff. And Midnight Syndicate has been a major influence on my orchestra and gothic tones. So
2: I got a question for Primeval. Um so and this is someone again, I because I, I also think in VST land. I also think in 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 orchestral VST land. How does one authentically grasp making metal strictly from VSTs. if you don't play guitar right I think all the other like sort of metal or rock composers for games that I know almost always play drums guitar bass or all of the above right so how do you approach in thinking as as how do you how do you approach writing for metal guitar when you don't actually pay, play guitar that's kind of what I'm asking
0: it comes around from uh, when I used to watch my dad play a lot I just see how how it works that way, how his hands move, okay. what notes you would play. And then this recently, something called Shreddage 3 was released a few years ago. And it's, yeah, it shows you what is being played, what's streaming and it shows you like what's possible. Like, it, mm. you know, you can't have two notes too close together at the uh, lower range or anything like that. And just, it's very intuitive. And I think that helps a lot with metal writing.
1: Okay. So, There's a, cool. a thing about, the electric guitar, in general, especially when it comes to metal music, I think, and um, that the the most featured note is always the lowest note on the guitar, whatever it happens to be whatever tuning you're in. You know, the, the most popular one being like drop D or whatever. Um, it, you know, we're not all going to be like Dwayne Allman, you know, playing play, playing a slide guitar and like really experimenting with all these crazy different keys. You're, the key that you're playing in is often very much rooted in whatever that root that lowest root note is on the, the, the electric guitar. And when you compose music that is not played on the guitar but is in, in, you know replicating that instrument, it can be very easy to kind of stray away from that. Um, it can be easy to like kind of invent something that wouldn't naturally occur based on the way that most guitar players actually play the instrument. And that can lead to both like weird sounding things and also very interesting things. And, and that you know you're not hearing uh, someone actually playing guitar. One of the things about your your stuff that you've done so far that, that just really fascinates me is that it all sounds very natural. And is it, is that something that even occurred to you, or is it just rock and roll? See what happens.
0: It, I try to keep it as believable as possible. Maybe not as realistic, but I always try to play in that lowest note that's two and two, or I adjust yeah. it accordingly and. Just the engine just helps me out with that a lot, I
1: think. Because your average death metal guitar player is playing like D, and then everything on <laughs> on the pentonic scale of D. And if they want to play a song in a different tune or in a, in a different key, they have to retune the guitar because they're not going to play it any differently.
3: Yeah. Right. Uh- I tr- I did a hack of my guitar because I have a seven string and I I set up to C standard. So I just yeah. have to move one string up. Then I can get the normal tuning. <laughs> this is blowing my
2: mind for the record. <coughs> I nothing about good- it. I have never played one. Uh, in fact, I, fun fact, fun secret. I try to avoid writing for guitar when I can because it's so not natural. <laughs> I'm such an, I play the organ. That's what I do on the weekends. I play the organ. I, I'm here, Mr.
1: Bach over here. Here you go, Tony. Tony. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Here's the There's a guitar. Here's a guitar, right? <laughs> and the way that metal guitar players play is you have open, you have one, five, three, maybe six, and then variations on the next stream because they're all automatically tuned because they play in a drop tuning. And That's then everything wild. beyond that is just like big brain shit. But <laughs> the average metal guitar riff is always the same thing. It's, That's crazy. It it is so systematic. And I mean that's it's just it's like the blues you know like you have you have the blues scale and you play the blues yeah. and there's no variation from that scale really it's just a matter of your style within that and if you want to change key like listen to Boston right the whole first Boston album every fucking song is in the same key because they're replicating the same kind of thing they're just it's like Taco Bell you know you put a little sour cream over here little, you know <laughs> and you mix it up a little bit a little cheese a little beef a little chicken and the sky's the limit as far as what you can do with those basic ins- like, ingredients but
2: that's crazy yeah metal metal guitar playing is i and i so maybe i think that's the thing is like when i hear it i know oh that's metal that's what that's what but i've never logistically sat down with someone who does it and say like how do you make that sound right because again i think in terms of horizontal counterpoint right mm-hmm. i think in terms of notes and <laughs> like sheet music i don't think in terms of what a you know metal good so this is this is mind-blowing this is just i'm just fascinated basically
4: i have a couple of like kind of boring answers for tony's question uh which is that the way that i um basically um try and like learn how to write for an actual instrument is just to listen to a lot of it listen to a lot of he- uh heavy metal and just see you know what do guitar what do guitar players just generally lean towards that might mm-hmm. be just the most straightforward thing to play um, the other way i do it is just to look up you know midi tablature online and just you know, see this is this is how it's laid out and then i kind of like try and take that on to like take that on in my own mind and just say so if i was a guitar player how would i want this spelled out for me uh, and how would this melody like work if i was to spell it out with this is this a uh is this a good melody in terms of being playable in terms of being you know human compatible i suppose um of course there is the other direction that I go, which is to say, you know, I'm just writing in just basic MIDI. So what's the point of humanizing it? When I could just <laughs> when I could go full ham, full, full yeah, and just uh just you know, have at it. There's a lot of brilliant um MIDI's by uh some of the older musicians, um uh, or I should say the more seasoned musicians in the Doom community. Uh people like Mark Clem, David Shaw, Jeremy Doyle, um they're the old guard as far as midi compositions in the doom a fan community are concerned and their midis are clearly not meant to be played by humans like the guitars wow. and the drums are so full layered they're doing impossible stuff like super fast you know runs up and down um the the percussion section is so heavy duty there's like all these like you know you know demi semi quaver runs and all this sort of stuff where it's it's like it's borderline virtuosic, but it's so obviously intended to be played by played back by a computer um and i think that's a that's a really that's a really neat and like quite niche aesthetic that might be lost on a couple of people some people might just view it as oh it's just midi notes just whizzing past you really fast but Mm -hmm. uh, i think there is a real sense of compositional virtuosity there that shouldn't go ignored Mm
1: -hmm. i have a question for the two of you jimmy and tony um as composers uh and this probably applies more to you, Tony, than it does to Jimmy. But like, I, I think both of you kind of had, will probably have an insight on it. So, if you compose something that is physically impossible for a single human being to do, um, like Wagner mm-hmm. did this when he would re- write these insane bass parts that required two people to play, literally the the giant double bass. Do you think that that adds or subtracts from the music? Is is there a human element that is more or less mm-hmm. valuable? Than the uh, the potential uh, array of sounds that you can you can kind of tackle and create. I think
4: it ultimately depends on what you're shooting for. If you're shooting for a piece of music that is trying to be as expressive as as possible, if it's trying to say something that a human possibly couldn't say, then I say go for it. You know, just make just put all the notes down. You know, uh, put like a put like a fast demi semi quaver arpeggio on a big fuck off contrabass. You know. <laughs> that that's that's gonna that is gonna piss off your orchestra but it's gonna probably sound cool to you you know um I think yeah so like I will say um having written four orchestral ensembles before as part of my university degree humanization of music is very very important and it shouldn't be lost sight of if you're trying to aim for that sort of thing um you should say you know you should you know, you know, be up front with your orchestra that you you know you want to cooperate with them and you want them to be happy playing your piece. Um, but um, that's not to say you shouldn't make what you're doing kind of a bit, you know, challenging and like as expressive as, as possible just to get across the message and the tonality and the feeling that you're trying to convey. That's like that's a really important balance to strike. Um, I don't know whether Tony feels the same way about uh, writing uh, his parts and, and his like sheet music for orchestra, but that's how I felt it.
2: Right? I mean, I, I think, I think, yeah, I think if you're if you're going to be physically working with real musicians, the, I mean, because I come from a very again classical background of that's mm. all I did for a while was working with live musicians, and you have to make it practical. You want to make it. You want to make it playable if you're going to be working with someone who's actually going to play it, right? I can't tell you how many performers have like griped about oh well so and so composer made this impossible they 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 don't they don't like that they don't, they don't they don't they don't feel like they're being respected in those situations however what i will say is for digital music even well virtual orchestration i think if you're going to try and make something sound like a a real orchestra but it's using virtual instruments you still want to make it sound like it's a human doing it because people will notice again if a a flute player never breathes in your in your virtual (laughs) orchestra part like there's something wrong there because a flute player needs to breathe right so breathing moments sort of natural tails off and and those other little human elements you want to try Mm -hmm. to replicate with your midi expression now for purely digital music, right? If 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 the intention is this is just music that's being played by a computer, which frankly right now is very trendy. There's this there's this there's this uh new word being in, on the Twitterverse called digital fusion. It's like this new genre of not necessarily chiptune and not necessarily like realistic, but sort of they call it digital fusion. It's this mm-hmm. it's this new Very poppy, very, uh, very bubbly almost. Uh, another word that's going on is very wholesome, right? Very like it's his own new thing. So, I don't write music like that very often at all. But with that comes it's purely digital, it is purely electronic. So, by all means, make something that a human couldn't do because it's not meant to be a human doing it, right? So, I think if you look at it from that perspective, um, again trying to shoot for something realistic you want it to sound humanistic something that's purely electronic go like what uh, uh our scientist was saying about <laughs> you know creating these these corpses with makeup on based on like programming in his software like that's not obviously not meant to sound like it's coming from a human being right that's right, that's right. So i think it's all perspective it's it's all intention if you're yeah. intentional about it i can make things that are bitonal but if i do it repeatedly. And with intention, it's going to sound normal. It's going to sound fine because it's it's intentional and it's repetitive. I can have a major chord against a minor chord and just slam on it for a few measures, and that will become the new normal, right? So intentionality is everything.
3: Yeah, yeah. And it's it comes often and down for us, like what kind of map or what kind of environment we're composing for. If it's like right. call of Saragnar, if you're in medieval times, you want it to sound more humanistic because that's where humans live. If you're like me, making for Quake or some sort of weird sci-fi thing, it's like, well, you want I want to make this an alien world. I don't want I don't care much about added humanistic element. I want to add now to put that in perspective. I do want to add natural elements. I want to make it sound like these weird sounds are pre- coming from a creature that could theoretically exist, just not in our world. But then when it comes to like fruit playing and just keeping breaths and stuff in there, I'm like, no, nah, I, I can I can leave that because <laughs> if I'm talking about robots, you know, I'm just like. I just want to go and make it feel foreign to the person and abrasive to the person. Well, what like call Ragnar and all these like, or like even RuneScape, you know, you kind of want to keep that mood that this is environment that people live in and they compose music in. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. My brain is melted. This is the <laughs> most, I, I've not gotten to have like a, a honest to goodness, like, Deep dive into musical composition conversation in like years. This is so well, interesting.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I just want to add to to that to that to that fact. And sometimes when I see someone who normally does something non orchestral, for example, let's say they do a lot of just like I don't know, again, electronic or chip tune, and they they do their first orchestral the orchestral thing. The first thing I notice is they stay. Their mind is still in MIDI land. Their mind is still in these are the notes and I'm just going to use a string instrument here and maybe a, a brass instrument there. And so their mind is, has not yet shifted into, okay, how does one actually orchestrate? Cause even though it's MIDI, you still want to think of how does one orchestrate for a live ensemble? That's still kind of, kind of part of it. If you're, if you're shooting for that realistic thing. And obviously, you know, again, if they're chip tuned for 10 years, no one's expecting them to be like the a master orchestrator with their first orchestral track, right? It's, yeah. it's just not. That's it's understandable and it's totally fine and it's great, um, and I've been very uh, humbled and honored that people have come to me for like, hey, like how can you rate my orchestration? <laughs> Zero F. No, I don't care. I don't do that. But um, you know, it's 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 it's. I love talking about it because there is a, it, there's. We live in a time now where there is a you know you mentioned symphonic metal, where now if you're making symphonic metal, it will be with VSTs. You know, not everybody has the budget to go and hire an orchestra for every single track and every, every game. I mean, that's expensive that you need a huge budget for that. That's like Sony, you know, or Microsoft um, that we live in a time where it's important to kind of delve into orchestration. Okay. How does one actually make the sound human? How does one, what, what makes orchestras sound like an orchestra? It's not yeah. just one instrument. It's, it's a blend of 60 people, you know,
1: I guarantee you when the orchestrator sat down to compose Metallica's S and M he was like, how many fucking E flats are we gonna play, bro? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so I, great to listen to you, though. It's I've so got, good. I've got 180 people up here. We're not gonna play E flat the whole time. Let's let's find a way to make this more interesting. And that's what's so that's what's so bizarre about it. As I said earlier, like the, the, the composition of uh, of the different genres of music is just so diverse and weird and and really, based on the instrument in rock and roll and in, in heavy metal, it's very much based on what is the guitar going to do. Um, but for for your endeavors and for Jimmy and everybody else here who d- doesn't just play a physical instrument, it's it's very much like a. You can really experiment. You can really do some interesting things, and you can like kind of take off in a different direction. Uh, when you tell when you tell a flautist or or, or a pianist, pianist. Pe- Yes, that's <laughs> actually,
5: correct term, I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: To play in a certain key, they just what a magnificent
6: pianist you yeah. have. They just
1: swap it up. Yeah, <laughs> they just swap it up. It's a totally different thing. Um, I mentioned earlier, like slide guitar players, right? Like these are the highest paid musicians in the world. If you really think about it, they who plays who plays a steel guitar? Nobody. Uh, so exactly. those guys that work for the Nashville Music Guild playing the slide guitar. That's one of those like amorphous kind of moments where it's like. Well, we don't always need you, but when we need you, we need you. Yeah. You know. And, and and every single time they play in a different key. So it's either start on a different note or play a different fucking tuning, retune the instrument or get it, you know, like a harmonica. To maybe maybe that makes more sense to you. Like because you buy a harmonica for every key that you're going to play in. You can't just like go totally dynamic with it. It's bizarre. Eh. And this has been like such an insane learning experience talking to you specifically, Tony, because I, I didn't—I never even considered half the shit you're talking about.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, well, and I, because I, I think I, even even now, I still have to tell people, yes, I write—I physically write my sheet music first before yeah. I even open my Daw. Like every time, without fail, even if it's an ambient orchestral track, I still go into Sibelius. I make—I lay out my horizontal, you know, notation stuff, <laughs> my dynamic markings. Yeah. Then I export it into Cubase and then I do my thing and people are still like, why don't you just open the DAW? I'm like, because I don't know. I just, my brain doesn't work that way. Like I just, when I write my music, I can't just open a DAW and write into it. It just doesn't happen. I can't do it. I have to see the sheet music. It's just how I, Hmm. what I grew up with and what I know and what I learned and people are like, you're nuts. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's it's oddly. But
6: but everybody has their process, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And you know, it's, that's kind of the interest, one of the interesting things about, you know, trying to like pass on your knowledge to other folks is literally, I think everybody's process is different. And, you know, like I could tell you my process, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you.
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah. First you take, first you take three showers and record it in the shower. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah.
6: (laughs) So
1: real quick here, just around the table. Do you, do you guys ever think that maybe like uh, the music that you produce is is it is it something that's transferable could you teach what you do to someone else could you make someone else understand how you create what you create or is it just a
6: a flash of the pan kind of thing Uh, that's hard man that that's that's a really hard question i guess like for me i i don't i don't know i mean I, i i pick up things like from other musicians and stuff and but and I, and I like study their processes, but I don't think like following some exact a to b guide or a to z guide is the answer so i, I probably would say no yeah
5: uh, for me personally like I, I feel like for me it's, it's a, I could probably do so to at least a somewhat of an extent I guess it's more of my process personally where you could teach techniques, yeah, yeah you could right? techniques yeah. type of thing, like you know you could teach gear as well like hey that gear. work but yeah but like you know the actual process of like how do i actually make like a bunch of random notes from nothing um it's a bit of a harder thing like you you can sit you can you know point them in the right direction but that doesn't mean they're gonna like you know actually like you know do it like you you know for me water yeah Yeah.
6: well not everybody knows how to put notes together how to work um you know uh um uh, scales you know nobody not everybody knows like the theory of music what yeah. notes actually work with right. other and notes even if you know, they like,
1: do understand that man some people just can't make an instrument sing
6: yep yeah and you have to understand the number one rule of music and that is the d minor is the d minor seventh is the saddest quote in the world
1: <laughs> it's true uh
2: um, it's true you yeah. know my my mom my mom is a is a pianist uh that's what your mom's a
6: penis? Oh shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes. Exactly. Now, she's a pianist, and she...
6: Magnificent pianist.
2: I mean, she knows music theory. She knows everything in and out of the... But she's always told me, she's like, I've never been able to create my own stuff. She said, over the, all that stuff, anything I've ever tried to do that's original is usually mm-hmm. probably directly derived from something she's played as a concert piano player, right? So I would say that, again, she has the theory now, and she has the, the, the information of what makes up music, but there's not that, there's not that creative spark of here's the original idea now how do i flesh it out yeah. right and i think that is much like an artist much like bob ross right bob ross had his own painting style that he could teach other people how to do but that the 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 image of what they want to paint they may use bob ross's technique that image of what they're going to paint is their own right so it's i think it's a similar concept with music
5: yeah yeah, uh, it's funny you you talk about Bob Ross and about visual things uh, like and that type of stuff because like personally like how I tend to end up creating a lot of things myself at the very least is um, a lot of times like like I, I I work off like a lot of visual stuff. So for instance, if I'm making like a track for a specific level, like I, let's just say like my mind level in my game, you know, there's like a fucking mine, there's like you know fucking trains, there's like lava and shit. I just look at that and I'm like, okay, how would this sound? And I'm like, okay, yeah, it would, it would have like a lot of banging and shit. It'd be like very industrial sounding, like you know. You get, like, a feel for how it looks visually. Or, like, you know, I'm doing a water level. How would that sound? Like, there's a bunch of, like, water and shit happening. Uh, okay. There's gonna be a lot of, like, softer, like, harps and shit. You know, that type of stuff. Um, and so I, 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 I go off of visuals. and. I it. can't
1: imagine you telling that to, like, a first-year music student. And then be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the sentence, yeah, the sentence yeah. that you just said. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> music Theory 101. There's lava. <laughs> yeah, there's you lava. Got, well, just you make, just a make a bunch of like shit and, and make it sound like lava. shit. Just <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs <laughs>
3: yeah a lot of time with new musicians, you have to kinda let them just fumble around a little bit to mm-hmm. find what they're natural, kind of like natural ad. We all have certain neural pathways that send us into particular directions, and sometimes, like I will hear someone composing a MIDI and I'm like that sounds exactly what I did when I was composing MIDI back then, then it becomes a little bit easier to say what mistakes I made like did I have, did I compose something through a three-armed drummer and people are going to find very awkward for this track, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Or like, like maybe, my, uh, Jimmy might understand this, like, like if you go, like, depending what program you have, if you go below C3 or C2 on, on the distorted guitar, it starts sounding like machine farts because it has to stretch those notes out. <laughs> so if you're going to go there, you have to be careful and make sure you have enough layers to make that machine fart actually add bass to it and not just sound disgusting unless I, you know. want to sound like your sheep farts.
1: I, I yeah. ran into a very similar situation yesterday <laughs> where uh, I, I'm trying to like dabble help with the sound design for Stellar Valkyrie. And as, as I'm doing so, I'm like, okay, well, what do I have around me? Like what, what, what's the, what, how can I make weird sci-fi sounds? So I'm like, I got this guitar and this amp and the, all these weird effects. Like, let me try it. So I take an AR-15, and I take a a guitar, and I'm like, okay, let's let's do some do some phasers, some reverbs, some distortion, see what kind of weird like sounds I can come up with. And I'm like, okay, and then let's let's, let's change the pitch a bit. And you can take a sound like that, and then you know it goes from being this like super heavy metal sounding sound to like the weirdest like that sounds just like what a sci-fi vehicle would sound like. Kind of thing. Um or in, in this case I was trying to make a gun sound. I'm like, okay, yeah. Let's let's see what happens. Layer some stuff together and th- it's just bizarre. Yeah. Like what you can do by simply changing the pitch of something. Like not nothing else. No, you know, don't add any reverb. Don't add like just change the pitch. See what happens. And that... it, yeah. Ugh, like <laughs>
5: Yeah, that's, uh, that, that reminds me of, like, how I'm going, because, like, even though, like, I-, I like to say that music comes pretty naturally to me, because I've always, like, been musically inclined my whole life, like, sound design, though, is something I'm still, like, trying to get my grips on and learn, like, I'm still mm. figuring that shit out, like, a lot, like, for it's instance, so It's like, Yeah, so, like, for instance, yeah. what you were saying for, like, you know, making, like, a laser gun sound, I had to do, like, something kind of like that, and I basically just made, like, some weird noises with my mouth I was like, pew! you know, like, that kind of shit. <laughs> and then just put it through enough filters and, like, some other shit, and it sounded like a fucking laser gun. Um, or i mean I, yeah
1: i made the, the i was so proud of this sound that i came up with I'm like this is so interesting i am i am 100 and then like Scumhead's like that's dog shit bro <laughs> you know what i mean like, I, I spent a long time like, coming up with this weird sound he's just like, <laughs> and, and if there's yep. anybody's opinion that i respect is like it's him i'm like all right all right well
5: yeah I'm that still. actually um some kind of like that actually ended up happening with me i was going to be doing some sound effects for uh this one game i think it was like relentless frontier i was going to be doing some sound effects for them but uh basically it ended up going through because uh falling through just because like i wasn't able to like you know get the, the sound effects to like the quality they wanted which i mean you know shit, shit happens like I, I you know i have no blood bad blood with the dude in fact we he, we were just hanging out last night he's pretty cool um but yeah it, it's just like it's just a learning process when you're actually coming to like you know do it making all these weird sounds and shit um I actually one of the most valuable things if you're going to be doing sound design is just getting like a portable recorder. I think that's like one of the most valuable things you can invest in.
6: I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that because like if you, you know the laser sound for the Star Wars gun, mm-hmm. that iconic, yeah. that is literally just them hitting one of those wires that holds a telephone yeah. pole in place. Mm-hmm. It's it's the tension. Well, the the doom I, so the doom
1: shotgun sound is a door slamming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, I but, yeah, I don't understand how sound design works because it's somebody asked you to create a sound that doesn't exist what does a phaser gun sound like and the only reference they have is star wars star trek yeah um you know
6: like and and then everyone that kind of comes down to to like the creativity aspect Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like like I i think you see that in bands too you know you see the people who who glom towards being in cover bands and then you see the people who glom towards being in original bands and i feel like the ones who move towards more towards original bands are the ones who kind of understand where to go musically and i feel like you know obviously the cover band people are the ones who just kind of want to play music but don't quite have the mm-hmm. the skill set to know where to go yet yeah. and we see that and it's the same it's always and it's and it's not something you can i don't think that's something you can teach i mean i think you can teach it to a certain point but i think you have to have the ability innate to to really you know, go beyond a certain point. And it's
3: so. yeah. A lot of it comes down to your uh obsession, really, to put in the hours to do it, because you have to put in a lot that of too, hours yeah. into that. I was sitting there programming my synthesizer for I don't know for a year. You know, who knows if I I didn't know if anything would good coming out of that. It could have been pure garbage, but. I just got obsessed enough to keep on going and put in the hours and it's not just like put in hours, like once a week, you have to be continually doing it. So you get your mind the right neural pathway that kind of solidifies itself to really be able to fully go, go over the barrier and reach that path.
5: So it's more like you're learning the actual like synthesizer itself, rather And like becoming one with it in a way, you know? I guess yeah
6: it, yeah I, yeah cuz when you understand your instrument or whatever tool you're using you know how like you know its limits you know what you can do with it and you in a lot of times i see like uh, i see this a lot in in early mix students is they're really afraid to to dial knobs and push sliders like they just barely touch stuff and they're just constantly moving around the board barely touching these little knobs and i'm like give it a, a you know <laughs> see where see what it's doing you know, rip that thing up, and, yeah. and you got that's you have to be willing to just tear it apart to, to mm-hmm. bring it back yeah. to something good. Yes, Ty. Sorry, I, I know that I'm supposed <laughs> to be the host here, but I have
1: all all these things I want to talk about with you guys. And so, uh, one of my best friends, his name's Jake. He's been on the show before, not you, Morpher. Um, <laughs> he he was he was with me when when we went to go interview Vince Desi. Um, and you probably the people who are fans of the show have heard his voice at least, and he is an acoustic guitar player and i mean when i say he's an acoustic guitar player this motherfucker plays the acoustic guitar i mean he can do bluegrass country folk nice. anything you know just beautifully i give him an electric guitar and it's like and when you're talking about turning knobs playing with tones playing with like you know like mid mid frequency bass treble all this stuff totally foreign he could not be more lost and I'll I'll be sitting there like I'm hearing him make magic, but I'm just like, I'll, I'll literally like walk up behind him and like turn a dial here and there. Like, yeah. I can't imagine not understand, like, because I grew up on it, I can't imagine not understanding how that stuff works. And it's so important to how you, pre- especially with you guys, like you, mostly everything we do translates to some sort of digital format. If you don't get that stuff, you're just not, you're not doing much in our, in our world. For, yeah. but for for most people it's like you know this is the way my music sounds i'm gonna play it into a microphone publish my single and i'm going on you know and no big deal uh
6: well if it would only work that way yeah. right? but how, do
1: you, how could you possibly teach someone and and i'm curious because you have you know a background in doing this with people how do you teach someone tone
6: is that for me yeah oh um that's hard because i mean you know there are a lot of people who are tone deaf and you it's really hard to teach a tone deaf person tone and it's it's really hard to teach somebody what sounds good because it's like again again it's like it, it is a trained skill but you got to be born with a little something something to start you out you know because i'm sorry but it's, And I don't mean to be rude or anything, but anybody, somebody who's who's truly tone deaf, no matter how much time or energy or money they throw at it, they're always going to be tone deaf. It's
1: like explaining color to a blind
6: man, man. Yeah, exactly, and it's just not going to work. So there has to be some sort of innate ability there that you just can connect with it, because there's a reason why, if you look at the music industry and just way music is, everything's split up, kind of like the game industry. You don't you don't really have a whole bunch of people doing everything. You know, in, in studios, you have a guy who, who's setting up all the mics because they're really good at that, but they usually work with the guy at the desk because they know they're a partnership. It's like a little team, like a spotter and a sniper. Then you've got your guy, the recording engineer, who just records it. Then it goes on to the mixing engineer, who's a whole different guy with a whole different set of tools and, and, and a different board setup. And, he and then it. he kicks it out to a mixing engineer, which has a whole other set of tools and a whole other board. And to be the jack of all trades is a very daunting task. And especially if you want to be really good at any one of those particular tasks. And I think that's kind of where, you know, we sit with music is there is such a deep learning curve. Once you get past that initial creation process, it's the whole, there's a whole nother world past. Once you've got the music down on in, in a recording now you've got to make it sound good. There's a lot of stuff you have to do to make it playable on literally every format and not sound like crap. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And that's, I want to touch on that too, actually, because the indie game scene for composers specifically is we often, not even just musically, we create the music, we mix the music. Oftentimes we have to master Mm -hmm. the music and we have to market it and we've got a network and we've got to make sure that we stay, have our emails. Oh, by the way, I guess we got to eat something too, right? We have to wear sleep. Yeah. yeah, Don't forget about sleep or your, or your, your family (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's. And I think in a way, I think that's why the indie game community is, is, is so neat is because it's not, that, it's not that we have to dress to impress absolutely everybody. As long as whoever we're working with is happy, yeah. in many ways that has to be kind of good enough because I just know that my orchestral mixes are not going to sound as good as Alan Meyerson's orchestral mixes who mixes Hans Zimmer's music. It's just not going to sound like that. Yeah. But you have people yeah. referencing, oh, can you make your stuff sound like Han, this Hans Zimmer track? It's like, well, compositionally, in terms of the notes on the page, sure. As for the mix quality, maybe not so much. I'm just going to have to do my best. So again, I think, and there will get to a point, you know, the AAA music scene, obviously, in games, mm-hmm. they will have the composer and they will have the music editor and they will have the mixer and they will have the mastering person. I mean, even Austin Wintry, his music is mixed by someone else. And he's kind of double I mean, he's kind of in like the post indie scene he's not doing halo i guess he did assassin's creed which is pretty triple a but even then you know there's there's this it's it's in the beginning stages where we wear every single hat and so all we can do is the best that we have and the best that we can yeah later in life then if money and budget allows then you can split and and delegate and whatever um which is which makes it all the much more difficult i guess Mm -hmm.
6: One thing I, I want to add to that is is that situation, um, especially for young young composers who are trying to wear all the hats, they are looking to all these inspirations. You know, so they'll go, maybe they'll they'll consult someone like I. For instance, I've had people come into me and say, "Oh, can you mix it and make it sound like um, Chris Lord Alge?" I'm like, "Well, I can, you know, get it close, and and but if you really want Chris Lord Alge, you need to go see Chris Lord Alge. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not trying to be Chris Lord Alge. I'm trying to be my own." style and ultimately every musician or studio engineer or just anybody who who is who is an artist and trying to be an artisan in their craft is going to settle into a style right. of their own and that's kind of our goal is to is to become one of those names that people oh can you make me sound like so-and-so you know yeah um, and by trying to imitate others it's not helping us it's not helping the the young artist so I mean it's I think it's important that we Ident- I, and I, I guess identify to some of the young artists who come to us and say, "Oh, can you make it sound like so and so?" Just maybe reiterate to them, "How about we make it sound like your own?" Yeah,
5: yeah. Mm-hmm.
6: So this has been like
1: amazing. I've, uh, I'm very, I'm gonna pat myself on the back. Good idea, Ty. Great job, Ty.
3: <laughs> Love being here.
1: Uh, to to all of you, man. Like you're all really special and unique individuals who've given a lot to our communities. Uh, some of you, you know been doing it for a long time some of you are just now making your uh making your name breaking into the the indie game industry and all that but uh indie games wouldn't happen without people like y'all I just want to say that I appreciate each and every one of you
6: (laughs)
5: thanks Ty we love you too man thanks for bringing us together
1: (laughs) (laughs) but uh just any any closing thoughts any like last minute little like anybody we need out there to start a band
2: kind of... Is my closing thought we need we need to start a band. like a virtual band
6: <laughs> would be cool yeah, do it like virtual. a virtual track and just you know like everybody puts down their thing and then sends it off to someone else and they put their thing down and just see what happens
4: yeah That'd seven be good. way collab
6: yeah yeah exactly if you That'd guys
1: if you guys make it happen i will edit it into the end of this video
6: okay <laughs> well we, we got to get past a few things first so we got some work to do still yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, Well, I, I want to say, if,
3: <laughs> if anyone's listening to this and they want to get into music, we all came from very different directions. So whatever direction you start at, that's the right direction to go. Yeah. And whatever direction you want to end up at, you know, musicians now are not just producers that send music to fans. We're part of the community now. So feel free to hit us up. And even if I don't know something, I'll probably send you to Primeval. Yeah, that's, that's
0: what i've been doing for the past year if i
6: don't know something, i'll just start doing that too just literally send everything to him
5: <laughs> like but uh yeah like honestly like just yeah again the biggest tip just just start honestly like whether you're yeah. like you know drilling a DAW or whatever or like writing music down or just practicing an instrument just just fucking start that's really the only advice that i could give that i can universally say is gonna be your best bet of like actually you know, getting anywhere Is so you need to start i you think
6: that to applies place place to, place to place everything place too place. like yeah. art everything just start like putting things on paper, just start making noise and something yeah. will lead you somewhere.
5: Yeah. D- don't be like, you know, like the whole, like, oh, I'm going to do this then or I'm going to do this now. No, just do yeah. it. you know? Don't be
6: afraid. Don't be afraid. Like waiting. Oh, I got to get the right riff before I put it down. No, yeah. no. Like lay down some horrible, terrible crap. That's just like just everything yeah. your brain can think of. And then just you pick and choose, you know? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I it's... think the very first year of my compositional life, I had to get all of the bad ideas out of my system first. Yeah. Yeah. I just let them all spill out onto the page, and then finally, I was able to actually like get it to a refined state, um, and that's like where I am now. I suppose I've just I've just been able to shed all of the sort of insecurities and uh, the the lack of confidence that I had like starting right. out with the sort of thing, um, and uh, yeah, now I'm just um, I'm just you know uh, one of the other many people in this indie scene and in this like wholesome, and in this incredibly vi- like vibrant and varied scene that is just making music just on the regular. And it's just, you know, it, it really does kind of fill a hole in the soul kind of thing. Um, so I would just definitely say to anyone who wants to start out, just start out, see, see what you can come up with yourself. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't get anywhere at first, don't be just, don't be despondent. Don't be afraid to reach out to people. Uh, to any of us me especially i love helping people um i just consider myself to be just a guy you know just a guy yeah. making music um there's no there's no real like need to like deify really any of us or just you know just he's lying
1: say, you have to call through jimmy's agent <laughs> yeah. to schedule Sir Jimmy.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah seriously like we're, we're just we're just people just talk to us we're, we're yeah. humans we've made we've made mistakes we've um, man i still like
6: goals. i still put down like when i'm starting to, to compose still the first like hour is usually crap and i've been doing this a very oh, yeah. very long time and i still do not ever, like rarely do I ever hit the ground running. And I consider that like a lightning in a bottle type of moment, you know, and those don't come along very often. So don't be discouraged if you've been doing this a while and you still are struggling. Like it's always a struggle. It's never not going to be a struggle, you know.
4: If in doubt, get in the shower.
6: Yeah, yeah. Just go take a shower (laughs) and I guarantee you'll come up with something really quick and it'll make you want to run naked out of the shower, screaming to your studio to try and get it down before it falls apart. (laughs)
2: Make sure your windows are closed before that, though.
6: Just... The final, like
1: the great, this whole podcast was about basically saying, "Listen, you're you're listening to this. You're probably a gamer. You should take a shower.
6: Yeah, okay? you smell like shit. Go take a shower." Well, the rule is, if you can smell your balls, it's time to take a shower.
5: Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good rule. Yeah, I
2: can't. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Not, not i think just to yeah and just to, to, to piggyback off of piggyback off of jimmy i think sincerely do not hesitate to email even people you think in the back of your mind oh they're never going to reply to this yeah the worst thing they can do is to not reply to it and i'm I'm not saying any one of us here necessarily but i'm talking like the big names right yeah. the worst thing they can do is not reply and that's at no fault of your own so i think truly as a topic earlier was, you know, to kind of not again, not to be aggressive in terms of like, you'll be mean, full sense, but right, you don't want to be mean, yeah. but aggressive in the hungry. sense of of hungry for hungry for growth, enthusiastic for growth, um, and enthusiastic to connect. I mean, again, yeah. the, the, the worst thing you can do is, is to start comparing and to say, Oh, well, I'm worse than them, or yeah, so and so is better than me. I think if, if, if we all are in this, in a sense of we are all colleagues and we're all doing our own thing, we're all trying to make it work. We're all trying to make ends meet. Um, and you, you, you establish community and connection rather than fighting against everyone else for the same job, you're going to find, you're going to find a much easier time to kind of wean your way through the industry because it's, it's no longer about, well, I have to be better than everyone else. It's, I want to be a part of this with everyone else and find our own way together. Right. It's, it's a, it's, a, it's a dog-eat-dog industry, don't get me wrong. It's tough, but it's possible, right? I think the seven of us here are living proof. Many others out there, and thousands of others out there in the world are doing the same exact thing. So it is possible. You just got to have the energy and the, and the drive to, in a sense, make it happen.
6: Be tenacious. Tenacious cream, Be tenacious.
1: The cream rises to the top.
6: That's right. And I just want to like, leave my Todd, closing remark have... <laughs> as um, buy our games. Thank
1: you. I just
2: want to hang out with you for a day and just to see, I want to make note of all the comments you make and how ridiculous they are. They're amazing. They're fantastic. I want a book of your <laughs> comments type, a book.
1: It's a Southern colloquialism book or whatever. Like, <laughs> How many wrestling references uh, can this guy make in one day? Let's see. All right. All right. We're done. Good night, everybody. I love you. The drowned God Catholic loves you until next time. Yeah. Stay in the keep. Peace out, people.
6: Peace.